Welcome to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Please feel free to leave a comment and be sure to join our group on Facebook. Now relax and enjoy the show. Take a minute, see what's in it. When you're buying a vitamin product, read the label. Make sure you get all the vitamins recommended by government experts. You do in VIMS and three essential minerals also. Get VIMS at your druggist. VI for vitamins, double MS for minerals. VIMS. This is the National Broadcasting Company. By transcription. Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. And Palmolive Shave Creams for a smoother, more comfortable way to shave bring you Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks, under the direction of Al Lewis. Well, many of the traditional basketball rivalries were settled during the past week, and Madison High School, where Our Miss Brooks teaches English, was no exception. Their big game with Clay City High was scheduled for Friday night, and last Wednesday morning, while driving her to school, Walter Denton, the team's manager, tried to sell Miss Brooks a ticket. I'm sorry, Walter, but I don't think I'm interested. Don't think you're interested. But, Miss Brooks, that's treason. How much are the seats? A buck apiece. If this be treason, make the most of it. (laughs) Look, Walter, I don't want you to think that I'm lacking in school spirit. The reason I haven't attended more games this season is because of embarrassment. Our team was just awful. Sixteen straight defeats, isn't it? This year. Altogether, it's 39. (laughs) But the important game is Friday night with Clay City. I know. I saw the Clay City game last year. I'll never forget how miserable I felt when I left that gym. The score was Clay City 92, Madison 6. I shouldn't have left. They really clobbered us in the second half. Well, I hope we make a better showing this year, if only to keep our beloved principal's blood pressure from reaching a new high. Well, I don't like to be prematurely optimistic, Miss Brooks, but I met a fellow on our campus yesterday who may make a big difference in the outcome of Friday night's game. You mean through him we have a chance of winning? Definitely. I'm surprised at you, Walter. You should have turned him into the district attorney immediately. Now, this is a kid who went to Clay City High until his folks moved into our district last week. And now he's going to transfer to Madison. And, Miss Brooks, the minute he told me his name, I knew he'd be a cinch to make our basketball team. Guess who it was? Lionel Barrymore. (laughs) Serious, Miss Brooks. Now, this guy happens to be the greatest scholastic basketball player in this area. And what a build on him. He must be six feet four. Who is this super kid, Walter? Well, his name is Tex Barton. Of course, Tex is just a nickname because his family came to Clay City from Texas. Sounds reasonable. (laughs) His real name is Vic Barton. Uh, Don't you remember the fellow who scored over 50 points against us in the game last year? Well, now that you mention it, I do remember a boy named Vic Barton. Well, Tex Barton and Vic Barton are the same person. No wonder he's so tall. Here we are, Miss Brooks. Oh, say, I think that's text gone for school now. After you, Miss Brooks. Thanks, Walter. Hey, 
Hey, wait up, Tex. I want to talk to you. Well, if it ain't Walter Denton. I'm sure glad to... Oh, excuse me, ma'am. I, I reckon you're Walter's mother. <laughs> Have another reckon on me. <laughs> this is Miss Brooks, Tex. She teaches English here. English? Yes, it's the language spoken just north of Texas. <laughs> well, I've, I've got to be getting in now. Nice to have met you, Tex. Most people feel that way. <laughs> well, we really didn't meet hardly. Uh, would you mind if I joined you after school and we chinned for a spell? Well, I'm afraid I'll have to take my chin home after school. <laughs> I've got to help Mrs. Davis fix dinner tonight. Now, that's awful decent of you, ma'am. I'll be happy to have dinner with you. Huh? <laughs> you see, my folks will be out visiting tonight. After I spend what I got on me for lunch, I won't be able to afford no dinner unless I gets me an invite. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, down home, we don't think twice about sharing a grub with a stranger. Yes, sir, there's nothing like splitting your chow to help you get acquainted. Well, get a pencil. I'll tell you how to get to my chuck wagon. <laughs> Sorry, Miss Brooks. I'll bring Tex over myself at six o'clock sharp. And ma'am, thanks a heap for the invite. You're welcome, Hoppy. Miss Brooks, uh, suppose you take Tex into Mr. Conklin's office. You can help him get registered real quick. And speed is of the essence, as you know. Yes, I do. All right, Walter, you park your car and I'll take Tex in with me. That's mighty obliging of you, ma'am. Uh, do you think the principal will be willing to swear me in this morning? Well, it's all according to his mood, Tex. I can promise you one thing, though. When we get to his office, you'll either be sworn in or at. <laughs> Mr. Conklin's office is right down this hall, Tex. Well, all right, Daddy, but you don't have to bite my head off. Hello, Miss Brooks. Daddy's having one of his tantrums again. I... Well, what have we here? Oh, this is Tex Barton, Harriet. Tex, this is Harriet Conklin. Howdy. Hello. You're a long one, aren't you? Longer than some, ma'am. And cuter than most. Are you going to be a student here? I sure hope so. Now. Say, you're really something. I try to be. <laughs> and if I ain't too bold, miss, I wouldn't exactly call you a little old lump of sugar, but I wouldn't want to leave you too close to my little old pinto either. <laughs> I wish I know what to tell my little old stomach. <laughs> Now, you'll have to excuse us, Harriet. We've got to see your father right away. All right, Miss Brooks. See you later, Tex. Goodbye. Who goes there? <laughs> Two friends, sir. Two unarmed friends. Come in. Uh, good morning, Mr. Conklin. I wouldn't disturb you, sir, but it's quite uh, important. One moment, please. So it's finally happened, Miss Brooks. Mr. Boynton has taken you to the zoo once too often. <laughs> Don't look now, but one of the giraffes has followed you to school. 
I'd like you to meet Madison's principal, Mr. Osgood Conklin. Howdy. What do you know? It talks. <laughs> now, uh, what can I do for you? And please be brief. I thought you might check his transfer papers, Mr. Conklin. Tex wants to enroll as soon as possible. Well, I suppose that can be arranged. From what high school are you transferring? A Clay City. Fine. I'm always happy to meet any boy who comes from... Clay City? <laughs> yes, sir. Our principal, Mr. Brill, told me a lot about you, Mr. Conklin. But I'm glad to meet you anyhow. <laughs> Brooks, kindly remove this elongated St. Bernard from my office. Now, hold on there. Who are you calling a St. Bernard? Oh, don't be angry, Tex. Mr. Conklin didn't mean anything derogatory. You two have got to be friends. Now, go ahead, Tex. Give him your paw. I mean, shake hands. <laughs> Step aside, ma'am. Now, listen to me, Mr. Conklin. I... You listen to me. You go right back to Jason Brill and tell him we don't want any of his Clay City dunces cluttering up Madison. Oh, please, Mr. Conklin. You can't know on this short notice whether Tex is a dunce or not. That's right. You ain't got no proof, no how. <laughs> but if you don't want me to go to your school, I'll just go right on back to Clay City. Oh, and... wait, Tex. You'll be glad to welcome Tex into Madison, Mr. Conklin, if you'll just let me tell you why you've got to accept him. I have got to accept no one. Madison High is my kingdom, Miss Brooks, and the choice of the subjects therein is my choice and mine alone. The interview is at an end. But, Mr. Conklin... That I is all. Aye, aye, sir. Come on, Tex. I'll show you to the door. Tex, I'll talk to him alone and bring you back when he's in a better mood. Okay, Miss Brooks. You've sure been mighty decent to me, ma'am. Hasta la vista. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Adios, hombre. Uh, Mr. Conklin. Sir. Sire. Yes? Far be it from me to question your motives, but I'm afraid you've hurt that boy's feelings. Well, perhaps I was a bit harsh with the lad, but he caught me at a bad time. I just hung up on Jason Brill when you both arrived. That malevolent old devil phoned just to taunt me about the basketball game Friday night. He got me so upset, I bet him a new hat on the outcome of the game. Before I remembered the results of last year's contest. That was disastrous, wasn't it? They clobbered us. <laughs> I dug up the newspaper account of the game from my file. I've got it right here. Now look at this headline. Clay City ekes out victory over Madison 124 to 7. <laughs> must have been quite a second half. There's an interesting subhead, too. It says, Wild-Eyed Spectator leaps on court and bites basketball. Ushers eject Osgood Conklin. That story is a bald-faced lie. I know it is, Mr. Conklin. I was there. You bit the referee. I merely broke his whistle. What burns me up the most, though, is this reminder that after the game, Madison was presented with the symbol of defeat, Cornelius the Goat. Let's see. Oh, here's that part. Cornelius must be fed and housed on the campus of the losing team for the entire school year. After four years of defeat, the goat becomes the permanent property of the humiliated institution. 
Well, that's the switch on a loving cup. <laughs> uh, let me remind you, Miss Brooks, that Madison has lost three games in a row to Clay City. If we lose this one, that bleating monstrosity will be on our hands forever. Mr. Conklin, do you remember a boy named Barton who scored over 50 points against us for Clay City? Barton, Barton. Oh, of course I remember now. He ran us ragged. Well, that happens to be Tex Barton, the boy you just gave the old heave-ho. What? And he wanted to transfer to Madison? Miss Brooks. Dear Miss Brooks. <laughs> we, we've got to do something. You've got to do something. Anything. Calm down, Mr. Conklin. All isn't lost. He's coming to my house for dinner tonight, and I'm sure I can undo some of the damage your temper has done. Uh, that is my problem, Miss Brooks. I'll be happy to have dinner at your house tonight. <laughs> After all, in Texas, we always say there's nothing like splitting your chow to help get better acquainted. So I've heard. And the way I figure, if and I can wrestle up enough grub, we might get so well acquainted we'd never have to talk to each other again. <laughs> Brush your teeth with Colgate's. Colgate dental cream, it cleans your breath. Water toothpaste. Water cleans your teeth. Colgate toothpaste. Cleans your breath. Water toothpaste. Water cleans your teeth. Colgate dental cream cleans your breath while it cleans your teeth. And the Colgate way stops tooth decay best. Yes, the Colgate way is the most thoroughly proved and accepted home method of oral hygiene known today. Over two years' research showed brushing teeth right after eating with Colgate dental cream helped stop more decay for more people than ever before reported in dentifrice history. The Colgate way stopped tooth decay best. No other dentifrice, ammoniated or not, offers such conclusive proof. And you should know that Colgate's, while not mentioned by name, was the only toothpaste used in the research on tooth decay recently reported in Reader's Digest. So always follow the Colgate way to clean your breath while you clean your teeth. And stop tooth decay best. Brush your teeth with Colgate. Colgate dental cream. It cleans your breath. What a toothpaste. What cleans your teeth. And the Colgate way stops tooth decay best. Well, when lunchtime arrived, I hurried to the school cafeteria to meet Mr. Boynton for lunch. But he was over ten minutes late. From the explanation he gave when he did arrive, it was obvious he had been detained by someone even nearer and dearer to his heart than I am. Well, I'm sorry, Miss Brooks, but I had to stop by the gym and untie Cornelius the goat. I... <laughs> I'm the only person at school who pays any attention to the poor beast. I know. Pull up a window and sit down. <laughs> Thank you. Before I forget, I brought a little surprise in for you. It's a box of French chocolates. For me? But it isn't my birthday or Christmas or anything. I know it. Can't I give you a box of candy if I feel like it? You certainly can. And it's very sweet of you, Mr. Boynton. I wish I could do something to show my appreciation. Well, now that you mention it, I'll be very happy to have dinner at your house tonight. <laughs> Good. 
for a minute there. I thought I'd have to keep coaxing you. <laughs> You'll be more than welcome, Mr. Boynton, but I think I should warn you. There'll be quite a crowd over tonight. You see, when I was in Mr. Conklin's office this morning... Oh, Walter Denton told me all about it, Miss Brooks. As I understand it, Mr. Conklin insulted the boy, and now he's got to woo him into playing basketball for Madison. Heavens knows the team can use him, and I'd like to help get him into the fold. What time does the wooing begin, Miss Brooks? Shall we say about nine o'clock? Nine? Yes, I should be able to get rid of Tex by 8.30. <laughs> Dinner's almost ready, Connie. You've been a big help, dear. But I didn't do anything, Mrs. Davis. I know, but you stayed out of my way all afternoon. <laughs> now you better get back into the living room and join Tex. Oh, he's all right, Mrs. Davis. I gave him last Sunday's funnies to read and a box of French chocolates to nibble on. You know, you wouldn't think to look at that kid that he's Vic Barton, the famous Clay City basketball star. He'd have to be something like that. But why is Mr. Conklin so anxious to get him to enroll at Madison? Oh, it's a long story, Mrs. Davis. I'll give you a rundown after dinner. Oh, pardon me, ladies, but uh, I got a little lonesome in the living room. Uh, the Louflurpas are all gone, Miss Brooks. The Louflurpas? Uh, those French candies you gave me to nibble on. Uh, I'll set the box on the sink. Uh, is there something I can do to help get chow ready, Miss Davis? Yes, there is, Tex. You can get the silverware out, if you will. Oh, that's the front door. I'll answer it. Just make yourself at home, Tex. I will. Well, Tex, Miss Brooks has told me what a basketball star you were at Clay City. Now, I wonder what made her say that. I'm Vic Barton, Miss Davis. Uh, Miss Brooks must have me mixed up with my brother Vince. Oh, shucks. I never played no varsity basketball at Clay City. <laughs> oh, Tex, will you come in here, please? We've got company. Uh, right away, ma'am. I'll be back to help you in a minute, Miss Davis. It's all right, Tex. Take your time. Look who's here, Tex. It's, Miss, it's Mr. Conklin. Well, slip us five, Pod. What's the matter with him? Well, Mr. Conklin wants you to know that... <laughs> that he was just teasing this morning when he threw you out of his office. Why, of course, my boy. I do that to all new pupils. It's sort of a, an initiation. Now, although we don't place too much emphasis on athletics at Madison, I just knew you'd want a star in some sport or other, so I brought you this all-wool sweater, and I had your varsity letters sewn on it in advance. You see, a big M. What, Clay City? We always spelt varsity with a V. <laughs> but if you was only funnin' this morning and you really want me to join up, I guess I can think it over a spell longer. Uh, please do, my boy. I got to get back to the kitchen now. Uh, Miss Davis wants me to get out the silverware. Silverware? And risk cutting those beautiful basket shooting hands on a sharp knife? I should say not. I'll get the silverware myself. Be right there. Well, come in, Mr. Boynton. Oh, thanks, Miss Brooks. I'm sorry I'm late. Oh, this must be Tex. Howdy. Uh, this is Mr. Boynton, Tex. Howdy. <laughs> I, uh, I brought this little gift for you. It's a sort of a welcome to Madison present. Gosh, what is it, Mr. Boynton? It's a knee pad, a brand new one. Those are the best kind. <laughs> I'm sure grateful, Mr. Boynton. Uh, I'd offer you one of the French chocolates Miss Brooks gave me, but I'm afraid they're plum gone. French chocolates? Miss Brooks, that, 
That's the same candy I gave... Oh, we're doing a big business tonight. Come on in. It's open. Hiya, folks. Here you are, Tex, old boy. Here's a little present for you. For me? Yeah, I noticed you ride a bicycle, so I bought you this master padlock to put on it when you leave it in front of school. You mean somebody might steal it? Please, Tex, that's one thing about Madison High. There's never been a master padlock stolen. <laughs> I don't get it. Why is everybody being so all fired nice to me? First, Mr. Conklin gives me a sweater, then Mr. Boynton brings me a knee pad. You give me this lock, and, of course, Miss Brooks gave me a whole box of Lou Flirpa chocolates. What? But that's the same candy I gave Mr. Boynton last night. Walter. <laughs> We'd better send the box to J. Edgar Hoover. Must be enough fingerprints on it to keep him busy for months. Tex, would you please put a new light bulb in the kitchen ceiling for me? We don't have a stepladder. I'll be right with you, Miss Davis. Uh, excuse me, folks. Uh, I'll be back before you can say Sam Houston. You can say Dick Dallas, too. I've got to talk to Walter. So, you gave this candy to Mr. Boynton, Walter. Would you mind telling me what prompted that unusual action? It's a lie. The fact that Mr. Boynton gave us a biology test this morning, which if I didn't pass would make me ineligible to manage the basketball team Friday night, has nothing to do with it. <laughs> I'm surprised at you. Why, that's nothing short of bribery. And I suppose I'll have to reimburse you for the chocolates you indirectly donated. Oh, that won't be necessary, Miss Brooks. I got them for nothing from Mr. Conklin. Only he doesn't know it. <laughs> What do you mean? Well, I helped Harriet burn some rubbish yesterday, so she told me to help myself to some candy on the way out of her house. Well, I didn't see the jelly bean she meant for me to take, so I just latched onto the box of French chocolates. It wasn't until today that Harriet told me that old Marvel had bought the chocolates for a special occasion. Gee, if he finds out I swiped him, he'll drub me till I'm simple. <laughs> That's absurd, Walter. Mr. Conklin wouldn't lay a hand on you. It's not his hand I'm worried about. <laughs> when he gets through dropkicking the seat of my pants, he'll look like the lobby of Grauman's Chinese. <laughs> well, take it easy, Raffles. Nobody's going to put the finger on you around here. Well, everything's working out just splendidly, Miss Brooks. If you... Oh, hello, Mr. Martin. Good evening, Good evening Mr. Conklin. Sir. I have the honor to inform you all of the fact that, thanks to my warm and endearing personality, Tex Barton has consented to enroll at Madison High immediately. Oh, that's wonderful, Oh, Mr. congratulations, <laughs> sir. You're a little Lou Marblehead. <laughs> I mean, that's great, Mr. Conklin, just great. Well, this calls for a celebration. Now, you men stay right here. I'll go out and get the dishes to the dinner table. I thought I'd better get the dishes, Mrs. Davis. All right, dear. I just checked what we'll need on the kitchen table. Did uh, Mr. Conklin tell you the thrilling news about Tex here? Yes, he did. Well, needless to say, Tex, we're all delighted to have Clay City's top basketball star as a Madison pupil. Hold on a minute, Miss Brooks. Uh, about that basketball stuff, there's something you ought to know. You mustn't try to carry so many dishes at once, Connie. Oh, I can manage them all. What were you saying, Tex? Well, it's like I was telling Miss Davis. Uh, you must have me mixed up with my brother, Vince Barton. 
I never played no basketball for Clay City. We heard a crash. What happened? Hey, what is it, Miss Brooks? Nothing. I merely dropped a few dishes. Oh, well, let's help you pick them up. Here, I'll take the plate. Now, I'll take the soup bowls, and I'll take the cups and saucers. You've got to be more careful, Miss Brooks. Here, you can hold this large platter. Thank you. Shocks. I don't know what made Miss Brooks get so skittish all of a sudden. Oh, just forget it, boy. Forget it. I don't understand. All I said to her was that she had me mixed up with my brother Vince, and that I never played no basketball for Clay City. <laughs> Make it unanimous. Of course, there's one point I think I ought to clear up. I said I never played no basketball for Clay City. But I didn't say I never played no basketball. It's just that this being my freshman year, I wasn't able to straighten out my credits till a couple of weeks ago. Nevertheless, the fact remains. I don't like to brag. After I worked out with the team for a few days, why, all the coaches agreed my brother Vince was almost as good as I am. Nevertheless, the fact remains. <laughs> Vince was almost as good as you are? Yes, sir. If I said it once, I'll say it twice. This calls for a celebration. Is dinner ready, Mrs. Davis? Not quite, Connie. It'll take about a half hour yet. Why don't you all go in the living room and wait? Oh, but I'm starved. If I could just take something with me to nibble on, I'd say, what's this? Loofler for chocolate. Well, <laughs> I see we have another prankster in our midst. A prankster? Yes, yes. This candy is, is sold only in novelty shops. I bought mine early this year for fear they'd run out. I'm going to send a box to Jason Brill on April 1st. <laughs> but I don't understand, Mr. Conklin, what's in the chocolate. Uh, what isn't in them? There's enough pepper and spice in each one to have Brill clutching his bloated bay window for hours. <laughs> Very funny. Are you positive these are the same kind of chocolates you bought, Mr. Conklin? Loop Lurper? Loop Lurper is simply April Fool spelled backwards. <laughs> Funny, wouldn't it? Well, that's the beauty of this particular brand. It's got a sweet coating that disguises the pepper. It takes about an hour to work, but once it catches on, oh, brother. <laughs> oh, brother. Tex, Tex, speak to me. Why are you turning that color? I'm a getting out of here. Getting out? But why? What's wrong, boy? I'm a going back to Clay City. No, but Tex, you... at least nobody never tried to poison me down there. I'm beginning to feel like an emotional yo-yo. Well, you'll find it out sooner or later, Mr. Conklin. Tex ate a whole box of those candies. What? But how did he get them? Uh, uh, they were a gift. A gift? But he's liable to be laid up for a week. And if he doesn't play Friday night, we're certain to get possession of that reeking goat Cornelius! <laughs> now then, Mr. Boynton, Denton, Miss Brooks... I demand to know who gave that candy to Tex Barton. Mr. Conklin, I can disclose the identity of the culprit with one word. And that word is... 
as our Miss Brooks returns in just a moment. But first... You get smoother, more comfortable, comfortable shaves by shaving the palm olive brushless way. Get smoother, more comfortable, comfortable shaves the palm olive brushless way. Hey, that's a fact, men. You can get smoother, yes, more comfortable shaves the palm olive brushless shaving cream way. Just rub velvet smooth palm olive brushless into your beard. Whiskers actually protect your skin by providing a soft film that floats your razor's cutting edge. Remember, over 1,200 men tested the palm olive brushless shaving cream way following directions on the package. And no matter how they shaved before, three out of four reported beards easier to cut, less razor pull, smoother, more comfortable, yes, more comfortable shaves. So men, try the palm olive brushless way yourself. Even in cold or hard water, you get a close, clean shave. And a smoother, more comfortable, yes, a more comfortable shave. You get smoother, more comfortable, comfortable shaves the palm olive brushless way. Next time you shave, try the palm olive brushless shaving cream way. Now, once again, here is Eve Arden. This week, the Colgate Palmolive Peak Company salutes the Girl Scouts of the United States of America on their 39th birthday. Their ceaseless work, training, and activities have proved to all of us that good scouts today are good citizens tomorrow. Congratulations, Girl Scouts. This is Vern Smith reminding you to tune in next week to another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Palmolive Shave Creams for a smoother, more comfortable way to shave and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written by Al Lewis and Joe Quillen, with the music of Wilbur Hatch. Listen to this. With Marvellous Bell, V-E-L, you can save 90% of dishwashing work. Andy, did you hear that? Come on, will you? Did I hear what, Amos? That whistle. That's a rinse-o-white whistle. And rinse means us. That's right. rinse gets clothes rinse white And rinse presents the Amos and Andy Show with Shorty the Barber, Hattie McDaniel, or Sadie Simpson, and the Delta Rhythm Boys. Mothers have quite a job keeping the young ones out of the kitchen before dinner. Is dinner ready yet, Mom? What are we having, Mom? But after dinner, you can't get them in the kitchen. Gee, Mom, I got a lot of homework to do. I'll do the dishes tomorrow. But even though you can't always depend on the family, there is something you can count on to help with dishwashing. Yes, Rinso, of course. Those soapy-rich Rinso suds in your dishpan make short work of the biggest stack of dishes. Get them sparkling clean with a swish of the dishcloth. Even your greasy roaster and the rest of your pots and pans come shiny clean without hard scraping and scouring. Besides, rinse is anti-sneeze and easy on your hands. So for dishwashing and for all the soap and water jobs around the house, why waste time with lazy, old-fashioned soaps? Save work and time with rinse Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the story of Amos and Anthony.
afternoon, while Sapphire is attending a club meeting, the Kingfish asks a few of the boys over for a bridge game. The Kingfish and Amos are partners against Henry Van Porter and Andy. Well, at the moment, we find them in the middle of bidding a hand. Well, I started this bidding, and I'm going to finish it with a bid of seven hearts. Yeah, you've really been doing some bidding there, Andy. That's a grand slam you done hit there. I'll pass. Up to you, Henry. Well, partner, I pass. Well, Andy, I'm going to double that seven hearts. Redouble. I'll show you how to play this game. Yeah, well, my first lead. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, before we start, I just want to ask one question. All right, Andy, what is it? Tell me this, fellas. Is the king the one with the whiskers? <laughs> oh, Andy, you sure you know what you're doing there? Of course I do. Another thing, uh, is deuces wild. Oh, wait a minute, sir. Now, let me get a scorecard off the desk over here. Uh, I tell you what, we keep it on the back of this calendar. Uh, hey, wait a minute, boy. What's the matter now? I just happened to look on this calendar here. Oh, what is the date today? Well, let me see. Day? Uh, the day is the 12th. Uh, look here on the calendar here. I just happened to notice that on the 13th, my wife has got written down there the word birthday. Boys, I was lucky to see that. Tomorrow is my wife Sapphire's birthday, and i got to do something about it right now. Yeah, well, let's stop this bridge thing, because I don't think we're getting nowhere. Hey, let me think here. What can I get the old gal that she can really use? Well, how about giving her a course of beauty treatment? <laughs> no, I, I had her fixed up at the beauty shop last month. Yeah, she looked fine until she went out in the rain. Her whole face washed away. <laughs> well, if you want to give her something for in the morning, you better get going. Uh, ain't you got no money? Well, now, let me see. She got $5 hid around the house here someplace. I don't know if it's in the cupboard or not. Uh, what's in the sugar bowl? Lately, we've been keeping mustard in there. <laughs> yeah, we kind of short on sugar, too. Well, we was short on flour, too, but Mrs. Van Porter found a store that got in some lately, and she went down and got a hundred pounds. A hundred pounds? Yes, yeah, she wanted to get some before the hoarders got there. <laughs> Them hoarders will grab the flowers as fast as the weevils do. They said they will. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. I, I know where the $5 is. It's in a handkerchief box. Well, you can't buy very much today for $5, Kingfish. Why don't you consider opening the charge account? Yeah, and save the $5. Yeah, well, come on, Henry. Go shopping with me. We'll open the charge account. How do you do it, Henry? Well, it's just a matter of your standard and reputation in the community. Well, I've got a reputation, all right. Well, let's go anyway. Maybe the man ain't hear about it. Now, Anna, before we go into the credit department here to see the man, get an honest look on your face, will you? Yeah, well, here we go. Yeah, and when I walk in, I'll say something about the weather. That's always show fire. Mm. Uh, how you do, sir? Nice day. How do you do? Yes, it is a lovely day. Uh, well, I didn't know it was that good. No. Uh, Mr., uh, my name is Honest George Stevens, and this year is first of the month brown. And uh, what can I do to make you gentlemen happy? We uh, come into that now, Mr. Oh. Well, sit down. Oh, but not on those hard chairs there. Take these soft chairs here. There. <laughs> Come see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You feel fine, thank you. Oh, 
Now, Mr. Stevens, did you wish to open a charge account? Uh, yes, sir. That's exactly why I come here. Oh, how wonderful. You make us very happy. There's nothing that gives us more pleasure than to serve you, to give credit, to make life a little easier for you. Believe me, Mr. Stevens, our merchandise is at your disposal. After you finish with him, mister, I want to talk to you, too. <laughs> yes, you know, this store has become near and dear to my heart. I have seen the sweetness and understanding that we all have toward our customers. Oh, I've been here many years. Uh, years, huh? It's not generally known, but confidentially, I am on my 3,221st carnation. Uh, well, congratulations. That's uh, quite a stretch you've done down here. Yes. But, gentlemen, I want you to know that our entire stock of merchandise in this store is yours. Yeah, can we uh, start carrying out the stuff now? Uh... Yeah, we ought to have brought a trunk with us, you know. Yeah. Now, first, let us make sure we have your name spelled correctly, proper address, so that nothing will go astray, and so we will know where to mail the... Oh, how I hate the word, bills. <laughs> yeah, the, well, uh, we've got to get them sooner or later. Uh... Now, gentlemen, these routine questions. I want you to see our credit manager in the next room. Just a formality. Uh, wait here a moment. I'll see if he's busy. Uh, don't tell nobody about this place, Hannah. Let's keep it all to ourselves. Yeah, you know I love that man. Uh, you may go in and see him now. He's on the phone, but he'll be right with you. Just walk in, and remember, we want you to take advantage of our liberal credit, sir. Uh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, come on, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. What is that, Smith? Well, issue a warrant for his arrest immediately. Those bills are supposed to be paid on the 10th of the month, and here is the 12th. Put him in jail. <laughs> Andy, when we walked in that door, we didn't go into another store, did we? Uh... Hey, hey, the man is waiting. Uh, oh, uh, how you doing, mister? Uh, nice day, ain't it? What's nice about it? You applying for credit? Yeah, my name is George Stevens. This is my assistant, Mr. Brown. Uh, George Stevens. Address, please. Uh, here's my card here with all the stuff on it. Uh, run your fingernail over that, mister. It's all grave. That's sticking up there high. <laughs> Bank references. Name one. Dickie. <laughs> Mr. Stevens, what is your occupation? Now, there's a funny thing. I was just looking through the help wanted as the day. Uh, you mean to say that you don't have any means of livelihood? Oh, sure, but I couldn't bring her with me today. She's working. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no money, no occupation, no references. The answer is no charge account. Good day. Gentlemen. Oh, come on, Anna. I done decided I ain't going to give this place my business. No, no. Well, there you are. Is everything taken care of? Oh, I was upset. Uh, the man refused to give me credit at the store here. Oh, what a shame. I know just how you must feel. You do? Yes, they won't give me any credit here either. <laughs> well, you missed there, Kingfish. Troubles it with you, you're always trying to get something for nothing. Yeah, you're right, Ander. That's my trouble, all right. I was always there for something that's just out of my reach. I'm always chasing rainbows, watching clouds drifting by. The 
look and find the sunshine. I always look and find the rain. Some fellows make a winning sometimes. I never even make a game. Believe me, I'm always chasing rainbows, waiting to find a bluebird in vain. I'm always chasing rainbows, watching the clouds roll by, drifting by. Kings are just like all my dreams. What is 
we doing back here at the deep farmer store, King? Well, uh, I got five dollars from home, the sapphire I had here, and I thought I'd go up and get her some perfume. Oh, that's good. There's the elevator right over there. Yeah, let's get there. We got it all to ourselves here, anyway. Yeah. Get in there. Mm. Going up, mister? Going up. We don't go sideways, bud. <laughs> Well, uh, anytime you're ready, we're ready to go. Y'all, y'all want to tell me what you're going after? Uh, you got to know that now. Well, I'll tell you. In these days, but instead of you going all the way up and walking all over and finding a clerk and asking him for something you used to get before the war, wouldn't it be easier for me to say, uh-uh? <laughs> Yeah, well, now, uh, look, uh, couldn't we get started going up? All right. Close that elevator door for me, will you? <laughs> Look here. You mean to say that a big store like this ain't got an automatic arrangement for the doors to open and close? You got to close the doors yourself? Up to now, I ain't closed none. <laughs> Tell me this, uh, uh, how will I know when I got to the floor where the perfume is? Well, you have a double check on that. See, I, I'll tell you and you'll smell it. <laughs> and I guess I'll lean against this lever here and start off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if they don't put push buttons in here, I'm going to pick at this place. <laughs> well, here we go. Second floor, home furnishing. No radio, no stove, no washing machine, <laughs> no electric iron, no refrigerators, no home furnishings at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, can't nobody get a home nowhere. Keep going, man. Don't even open the door. You was going to open it. Third floor, nylon. Rayon stockings, genuine hair net, face tissues, pure silk lingerie. You'd be surprised to know how many women think we got that thing. <laughs> well, keep going, mister, keep going. Full floor, pins, needles, threads, buttons, darning needles, clothes pins, safety pins, hooks and eyes, and snappers. Send me a crummy bunch of stuff on that floor. <laughs> When do we get to the perfume floor? Oh, we're in smelling distance now. Yeah. Fifth floor, lipstick, powder, face cream, cosmetic, makeup, and special perfume with names you can't understand and same go for the prices. <laughs> yeah, well, we finally got you. Let's get out, Kingfish. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, say, Buzz, uh, come here a second, will you? Leave? Mm. What do you want? Listen, Buzz. What's that? Uh, close that door for me, will you? <laughs> well, there's a job for you, Annie. Uh, that fella just sit down in the elevator and the public do all the work. Yeah. 
I wonder if they got a vacancy. Uh, uh, here's the perfume counter right here. There's a girl to wait on her. Wow, look at that. Uh, calm yourself, Dan. How do you do? Hello. <laughs> Just uh, what do you have in mind? There must be some way to answer that without getting pulled out. Uh, no, sir, I'm looking for some sweet-smelling perfume. Now, let me see. Oh, oh, here's a lovely perfume we call Dangerous. Dangerous, huh? Uh, how much is that dangerous stuff? $20 an ounce. $20 an ounce? Uh, well, maybe my wife ain't got to smell that dangerous. Uh. <laughs> yeah, you got something just a little risky that we can... <laughs> well, now, let me see what I have here. Oh, here's a series of perfumes that we sell to suit the personality and the type. Yeah. The first one is debutante. Then the next one we call glamour. And then there's fascination. This might suit it. You ain't got nothing named Scarecrow, is you? <laughs> uh, what's in that bottle right there? A new perfume just in this week. It's really delightful. Yeah, what's the name of it? Struggle number five. <laughs> you know something? <laughs> I think that's what my date used last night. Well, I uh, guess you better forget the perfume. Yeah. Say, uh, what's in that bottle over there, miss? Uh, which one? Oh, uh, that fancy-shaped bottle over there. That is the prettiest bottle in the store. Oh, yes. I can give you that perfume in bulk for $3. With the bottle, it's twenty two fifty. Yeah. <laughs> Kingfish, maybe you just ought to get a bulk for. Yeah. Uh, let's get away from here. Oh, oh just a minute. Uh, here's a new fragrance direct from France. It's called Inner Fire. Let me put a drop on the back of your hand. Now, smell that. Mm -hmm. yeah, good. Uh, take a whiff of that, Andy. Mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. Is you busy tonight, Miss? <laughs> Pretty good. How much is this, Miss? $36 an ounce. Yeah, well, I might take some of this because you let me have $2 worth. Well, you got that on the back of your hand. Come on, Andy. Come on. In most families, the ancient and honorable system of hand me down still prevails. You know, a dress goes from Mary to Janie to Dottie. Now, that might be pretty hard on poor Dottie. Except the chances are that Dottie's mother, like millions of other women, knows that the way to keep clothes new-looking longer is to wash them with Rinso. With Rinso in your washer, it takes as little as a five-minute run per load to get clothes really clean. White clothes, Rinso white. Washable colors, safely, Rinso bright. A short run like that is easy on your washer as well as your clothes. No wonder only Rinso is recommended by the makers of 33 leading washers. Rinse so white, happy little white day song. Rinse so white, you'll sing it all day long. For clothes sparkling white and colors so bright. With rinse so you can't go wrong. Rinse so white, happy little white day
Yeah, but she wants people to think she's so young that she tells everybody it's just 37, doesn't she? Oh, this is too much. Yeah, well, hey, lady, come back here just a minute. Nobody can act up to par with a nasty cold. I check my cold distress the fast way with four-way cold tablets. Yes, tests of four leading cold tablets proved four-way fastest acting of all. Amazing four-way starts in minutes to relieve aches, pains, headache, reduce fever, calm, upset stomach, also overcomes irregularity. Four-way is the fast way to relieve those cold miseries. Then you feel better quickly. Four-way cold tablets, only 29 and 59 cents. Craft presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> yeah. 
Kraft Cheese Company, who also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night, present each week at this time Harold Peary of the Great Gildersleeve, written by Leonard L. Evans. And now let's visit our friend, the Great Gildersleeve, as he prepares to have breakfast this morning with his niece and nephew, Marjorie and Leroy. Good morning, Marjorie, my dear. Hello. Good morning, Leroy. Happy George Washington's birthday, Unc. If what? Oh, yes, of course. Today's the 22nd. Same to you, Leroy. Say, Bertie, fix something special for breakfast just because it's a holiday, Uncle Mort, so be sure and notice it. Oh, you can't help noticing her special fixes, Marjorie. You weren't here for dinner on St. Valentine's Day, but she served the liver in the shape of a heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and on Lincoln's birthday, she piled the bacon and toast up like a log cabin. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, but she takes such pains to make everything look so appropriate. Shh, I think she's coming now. Oh, yes. Morning, everybody. Well, 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 good morning, Bertie. What's this, no prunes for breakfast? No, sir, I cannot tell a lie. Them's cherries. Oh, well, I see. <laughs> I suppose you'll bring in little hatchets to break the eggs. <laughs> no, sir, this morning we have an Lexington omelet. A Lexington omelet? What's mm-hmm. that? It's the kind you don't put on the fire till you see the whites of their eggs. <laughs> it's a sort of revolutionary dish. Oh, yeah. Well, sounds very good for the Constitution. <laughs> Do you get it? <laughs> yes, sir. Here's your napkin. Oh, how nice. A red napkin for Leroy, a white one for Uncle Mort, and a blue one for me. Gee, buddy, you certainly got the spirit of 76 today. I bet you baked the cake in the shape of Mount Vernon. No, I don't seem to be able to do that, so I made a Baltimore cake. If why Baltimore, Bertie? Because that's the closest I could get to Washington. That's <laughs> <laughs> not good, and I don't see how I take all them things to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's too bad we aren't going to have a tea party today. You could fix a Boston cream pie for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Miss Gildersleeve, now you're having fun with me. Oh, no. Now, you both go ahead, and I'll be right back with the cooked oats a la Paul Revere. Yes, Paul Revere. Jeepers, I hope she don't come out riding a horse with a powdered wig. Yes. Sam, do you know what Paul Revere said when he finished his ride? No, what'd he say? Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's corny, but everybody bites. Yes. Stop, Leroy. I think it's terribly nice of Brady to do all these things. Yes, Leroy, I... I don't know of a better way of digesting your history than eating it. Oh, that reminds me. Did you go down and see the dentist yesterday about your loose tooth, Leroy? Well, did you, young man? Who, me? Well, seeing I'm not talking to myself and Marjorie isn't a young man named Leroy, yes, I meant you. Oh, I see. Well, did you? Did I what, Uncle Clark Morton? Did you see the dentist yesterday? The dentist? Oh, you mean Dr. Cotton. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I saw him. Well, what did he say? He said hello. You? I knew he'd say hello. What did he say should be done about your tooth? Oh, uh, he said absolutely nothing. Uh, that's strange. I thought it was ready to be pulled. Leroy, are you sure that young man, where are you going? Oh, I thought I'd go for a walk. Before you've eaten breakfast. Come back here, Leroy. Now tell me, did you go to Dr. Cottom's office yesterday? Oh, me? Let's not go through that routine again. <laughs> now, did you or didn't you? Well, uh, I guess I didn't. But, Leroy, you said you did, and he said there was absolutely nothing to be done. I did not. Uncle Mort asked me if I saw him. 
Well, I did on the street, and he said hello to me. And I never said that he said there was absolutely nothing to be done. Unc said, what else did he say? And I said, absolutely nothing. And that's just what he did. He said absolutely nothing. Now, see here, Leroy. You stop trying to deceive me. That was just as bad as telling a deliberate falsehood. And on George Washington's birthday, too. He wouldn't have done a thing like that. No. Really, Leroy, I don't know where you pick up such bad habits. Goodness knows, I've tried hard enough to set you a good example. Well, how about last week when you told the cashier at the movies I wasn't 12 yet, so you'd only have to pay a dime? Yes, oh, well. Well, that was, uh, I mean, uh, sometimes even I need to be reminded. I'll remember that, Unc. Yes, all right. And also remember that it always pays to tell the truth. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Gilsley, but there's a gentleman here to see you. Oh, uh, a gentleman? Well, not exactly a gentleman. It's a policeman. A policeman? I can't imagine what in the world one of those dumb flat feet was. Well, hello, officer. What can I do for you? Excuse me for disturbing your breakfast, but do you know who owns that car that's been parked in front of your house all night? Uh, the car in front of this house? Uh, well, no, I can't imagine. You mean out there? Why, Uncle Mort, that's yours. It, it is? Oh, well, thank you for telling me, my boy. Yeah, I guess it's mine, officer. Don't you know it's against the law to leave a car parked in the streets all night, mister? Oh, I know. I never heard of such a law. But Uncle George, yep. uh, I mean, Uncle Morris, yep. uh, only last week you warned me about leaving the car out. Oh, did I, Marjorie? Uh-huh. <laughs> Bye, George. George. That's right, my dear. <laughs> it just slipped my mind, officer. I won't forget it again. I'll say you won't, not after you pay a fine in traffic court. If... Just so you won't forget to show up, here's the summons. Goodbye. Oh, yeah. Well, what were we talking about? You were saying it always pays to tell the truth. Oh, yes. Now, furthermore, Leroy... Yes, Leroy? Mr. Finch is here. Oh, yes. Come right in, Oscar. I hurried as fast as I could, Mr. Gildersleeve. Did you bring all the books? Good. Set them down right here on the desk. <sighs> there we are. You know, ever since you called me, I've been wondering why you want the Forrester Estate accounts brought here on Sunday. It's Judge Hooker. He runs a probate court, and I have to account to him for Leroy and Marjorie's estate. And so he likes to snap the whip every so often. Oh, yes. I've met the judge. He's quite a whippersnapper. Uh, yes. <laughs> Oscar, he found out about the estate taking over Quiggs' drugstore... He phoned a little while ago that he's coming over to question me about it. Oh, now I see why you wanted the books. Say, how did we do during the last month? Uh, Leroy, let me handle this. Uh, how did we do, Oscar? Oh, much better. We only lost $213. Is that considered good? Oh, that's a decided improvement over the month before, when we lost $378. Oh, yeah. If this keeps up, maybe we'll get out of the red and be in the pink. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I wish we'd never gotten mixed up with that drugstore. It's getting to be such a headache, it'll soon start to break even just from the aspirin I buy there. Well, Mr. Gildersleeve, I, I hate to say I told you so. Yeah, well, then don't. There's a profit, you're a total loss. I never wanted to operate that cut-rate medicine market in the first place, and you know that. Say, Uncle Mort, how did we get into the pharmacy business, anyhow? Uh, well, uh, the estate owns the building, Leroy. We rented the store to Mr. Quiggs. But he spent more time trying to train his cat to do tricks than he did taking care of his business. Finally, the cat got so good and business got so bad that he took the cat to Hollywood for a career and we took the drugstore for the rent. Geez, does that mean I can have all the banana splits I want? It does not, young man. You think banana splits grow on trees? I have to account to Judge Hooker for every penny. Well, I thought you were the executioner of our estate, Unc. It, it's executor, Leroy. 
An executioner is a man who kills off... Oh, that's what Judge Hooker will accuse me of doing. Now, don't you worry, Mr. Gildersleeve. The profits you made for the rest of the estate are far greater than any loss incurred at the drugstore. Yes, but that won't satisfy old Droopsnoot. Droopsnoot? Well, little pet name I have for Judge Hooker, Leroy. Skip it. Well... It's a good thing you're here, Oscar. You can explain everything to him. Oh, I, I don't think I'd be of any help, Mr. Gildersleeve. Uh, no, why not? Oh, the judge doesn't like me very much. So if he's coming, I'd better go. Uh, wait a minute. What's wrong between you and Judge Hooker? Well, when he ran for re-election last time, it just so happened that I was president of the Get the Hook for Hooker Club. Well, goodbye. Now, out with it. What's a big pill like you doing in the drugstore business? Well, it's like this, Hooker. Uh, uh, Leroy, uh, don't you want to run along outside while I talk to the judge? No, let the boy stay. After all, this concerns him, too. Sit down, Leroy. Thanks, Judge. Say, Unc, can I call him by your pet name? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, quiet, Leroy. Yes, and don't interrupt, my boy. This is just the same as a court hearing. A court hearing? It, it is? Raise your right hand, Uncle. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help you? Sit down, Leroy. Now, look here, Judge. Can't we do this some other time? No, I'm too busy these days. Even have to work on George Washington's birthday. Well, speak up, Gildersleeve. Well, it's like this, hooker, old pal. A now, business... cut out the old pal business, Gildersleeve. This is official. Oh, yes, Your Honor. If... The estate had a wonderful chance to pick up uh, this business for practically nothing. I see. Was it in good shape when you took it over? Well, it was a going concern. Uh, but, Uncle Mort, would George have said that? Uh, George? What George? Oh, yes, that George. <laughs> if I get you, Leroy, uh, well, uh, to be frank, Judge, it had been a going concern, but by the time we got it, it had went. <laughs> well, how did you happen to take it over in the first place? Well, it was this way. Uh, 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 Leroy, are you sure you don't want to go out for a walk or something? Cheapers, no, I don't want to go out for a walk or anything I figure I'll have more fun here Yes, so I'm figuring too Well, Your Honor, we, uh, we were dragged into this affair by a trained cat What did he do, sell it to you? Yep. No, he didn't sell it to me, you little know Little know what, Gildersleeve? Oh, you little know what I was going to say, Judge <laughs> Now get going, come on, get going Yes, all right, Judge if the former owner of this pharmacy, uh, I mean, the, the former owner of this pharmacy, <laughs> if, if the former owner of this pharmacy neglected his business and fell so far back in his rent that one day we found ourselves in the bicarbonate of ice cream soda business. <laughs> well, how's it been doing? Oh, business is a good deal better now than at first. Yeah, Uncle Mort, tell the judge how much more money you didn't lose this month than you did last. What's this? Losing money? Uh, you have no business risking the estate's funds like this, Gildersleeve? I want you to get rid of that place at once, or I'm going to get rid of you as executor faster than that. Do it quickly, Gildersleeve. Goodbye. Gee, Uncle, this looks serious. Yes, you don't realize how serious it is, Leroy. I've been trying to sell that place for months, but I can't get a decent offer. Why not? Because right now, pharmacies are a drug on the market. hear from the great Gildersleeve again in just a moment. Meantime, I think you'll all agree it's always mighty helpful to have a good reputation. Well, that's certainly true of parquet margarine, the delicious margarine made by Kraft. Lots of people first tried parquet margarine because it's made by Kraft. 
And just about everybody knows Kraft's reputation for wholesome, fine-tasting foods. You see, people figure that since Miracle Whip and the other Kraft products are outstandingly good, parquet margarine must be mighty good, too. But what makes people keep right on using parquet margarine is its delicious, appetizing flavor that makes it taste so good, spread on bread or toast or rolls. Yes, and that goes for cooking, too. Parquet margarine is a real flavor shortening for baking. And you'll like it for pan frying because it doesn't spatter or stick to the pan. And remember, parquet margarine is a wholesome, nourishing energy food. And besides that, every pound of parquet contains 9,000 units of vitamin A. So why not find out how good margarine can be by trying delicious parquet margarine tomorrow? Remember, ask for parquet, P-A-R-K-A-Y. Parquet made by Kraft. back to the great Gildersleeve. It's Monday morning, and Uncle Mort is no closer to finding a buyer for the drugstore than he was yesterday. Good morning, Uncle. Have a nice rest? I had no rest, my dear. I tossed and turned like a scow in a storm, and I finally dropped off to sleep at about six o'clock and had a nasty nightmare in Technicolor. (laughs) Oh, that's too bad. Yes. All I can remember about it was that Judge Hooker was crossing the Delaware to buy a trained cat at a Hollywood drugstore, and I was doing the rowing. <laughs> oh, you, you take things too much to heart, Uncle. Yeah. Now forget about business for a while and relax. I wish I could, but I'm all strung up like a zither. Maybe today I can get a deal started for that high-priced, cut-rate drugstore. If I could get the judge off my neck and Leroy out of my graying hair... <laughs> What's Leroy got to do with it, Uncle? Well, you remember that Washington's birthday lecture about truth I gave him yesterday? Oh, yes. Well, he's appointed himself my personal censor. It's rather inconvenient when you're discussing business. And if I'm to get rid of that prescription parlor, well, sometimes it's going to be necessary to... uh... Morning, Marjorie. Morning, Uncle Moore. What are we going to do today? Leroy, I don't know what I'm going to do, but you're going to school, aren't you? Oh, no. Today's a holiday, too. No school on Monday when Washington's birthday falls on Sunday. Hooray! Yes. Oh, my goodness. Leroy, why don't you go to a nice movie today, huh? Several movies. I'll give you the price. Oh, no, I want to go down to the drugstore with you. I figured out a way to save a lot of money. How, Leroy? Well, I can work there after school on Saturdays as the soda jerker. I bet I'd make a swell banana splitter. (laughs) I could sell a lot of bananas. No, Leroy. We're trying to sell the whole thing at once. Not one banana at a time. You better go to the movies if you know what's good for me. <laughs> but Uncle Lord, why don't you get the city drug company to buy it? Uh, they own most all the other drug stores in town. Yeah, that's just it. They're too darn independent. I went to see the manager, and he said he'd take it up with the board of directors. You know, a big business brush-off. But Uncle, don't you know? The city drug company is owned by the Summerfield Investment Corporation, and that's controlled by Mrs. Salisbury Twitchell. Twitchell? I thought that old greyhound owned the bus line. <laughs> Also, the Twitchell Steam Laundry, the Merchant's National Bank, and four or five apartment houses. Well, I'd underestimated Mrs. Twitchell. Gee, are you going to sell out the drugstore, Unc? I don't underestimate her that much, Leroy. <laughs> but somebody sold her all those other things. Uh, yeah. Yes, they did, Uncle. Oh, I know. She'll be over at Red Cross headquarters this morning. 
Why don't you drive me down now and just sort of casually get into conversation with her? Uh, I don't think it'll do any good. Oh, go on. You've got a way with the ladies, Uncle. Yeah, if I have, then she's no lady. <laughs> I've just met her three times, and we already hate each other as if we'd been friends all our lives. <laughs> Oh, but it won't do any harm to try. Huh? Besides, I need a ride down there. Yeah, me too. I'm going to a movie. Well, I don't know what to say. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Gillsley, but there's a gentleman here to see you. Oh, great jumping jeeps. I forgot to put the car in the garage again last night. Uh, you hold him there, Bertie, while we sneak out to the back and drive away. But, gee, where's Hump? George Washington never did a thing like that. George Washington never got a traffic ticket either, Leroy. <laughs> Come on. Uh, wait a minute, Mr. Gillsleeve. This ain't no police. Oh, he isn't? Oh, well, in that case, <laughs> I was only joking, Leroy. Yeah. You were? Why, of course. I wouldn't do a thing like that on the legal holiday after George Washington's birthday, would I? Well, I wouldn't. Uh, bring the man in, Bertie. Yes, sir. Oh, by the way, did he say who he was? He said he's from the city and about the drugstore and supposed to find out how much everything in it is worth. Oh, wait a minute, Bertie. Don't let him in. He must be from the assessor's office. I can't see him now. But why not, Uncle Moore? He'll ask a lot of questions I don't feel right about answering with, uh, with certain people around here. <laughs> Bertie, you tell him that I've gone. Yes, sir. But, Uncle Moore, you told me yesterday that we should always tell the truth. Yeah, that's right, Leroy. But we aren't gone. We will be by the time Bertie gets to the front door. Come on, children. We're sneaking out the back way. <laughs> at you before we go in to meet Mrs. Switchell, Uncle Mort. Now, don't be nervous. I'm uh, not a bit nervous, Marjorie. Uh, maybe I'd better throw away my cigar. Uh, now, what did I do with that cigar? You threw it away. What? Oh, yes. Now, let's not get excited. Uh, how do I look, Marjorie? Oh, just fine. My, but you're a handsome man. Wait a minute, Marjorie. Remember what Uncle Mort said about telling the truth. <laughs> but I really think so, Leroy. Now, hold still, Uncle, while I pull the thread. Yeah. There. You're a slick-looking smoothie, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, you mean you are, my dear. Oh, no. Honest, I never saw two more active members of the I'll Scratch Your Back if you'll do the same for me, society. <laughs> How about saying something nice to me for a change? All right, Leroy. Goodbye and enjoy yourself at the movie. Okay, see you later. So long, Lord. Goodbye, Bye. goodbye, goodbye. Well, maybe I'll be able to speak freely now. Ever since I talked against fibs and little white lies... Leroy has been an impediment in my speech. <laughs> well, let's go in now. And remember, just start getting the conversation with her casually and bring the subject of drugstores up in a very offhand manner. Offhand, all yes. right. They say it's lucky that we're meeting her here in the Red Cross Center in case I have any trouble with the old battle axe. Oh, don't think of it. Come on in now. Yeah, all right. Uh, keep your fingers crossed, T.P. Oh, hello, Edie. Hi, Henrietta. Oh, I'll be right there to help you, Ruth. Oh, Mrs. Switchell. Oh, it's so nice seeing you again. Oh, how do, my dear? <laughs> well, goodbye, Uncle Mort. Thank you ever so much for bringing me down. Oh, by the way, you know Mrs. Salisbury Twitchell, don't you, Uncle Mort? Oh, uh, yes, of course. How are you this lovely morning, Mrs. Twitchell? Fine. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a, it's a mighty curious thing, Mrs. Twitchell, but I, I just discovered that we're business rivals. <laughs> I suppose you're talking about my laundry. What are you doing, taking in washing? 
No, 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 nothing like that. Just a drugstore. Oh, drugstore. Oh, yes, you know, a place where they sell postage stamps, sandwiches, and once in a while a bottle of fly spray. I am aware of drugstores, Mr. Gildersleeve. I just don't happen to remember that I own any. Well, well, think of that, Marjorie. Mrs. Twitchell has so many drugstores, she doesn't know she owns any. Oh, well, I think my uncle meant a city drug chain, Mrs. Twitchell. Oh, yes, that, I see. Uh, well, you... Excuse me, Uncle Mort, can I see you a second? You forgot to give me the dough for the show. Oh, well, just as soon as I'm finished, Leroy. As I was saying, Mrs. Twitchell, we have acquired the ownership of Quigg's Drugstore. And while it's not what you might call real competition at present, we're considering branching out, and we may soon give you a run for your money. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, yes. Uh, we've got plans to put a drugstore on every corner downtown. Unc, remember George Washington. George Washington? Uh, yes. We're going to call them the George Washington Drugstores. <laughs> oh, Uncle. Yes. However, Mrs. Twitchell, we might consider selling out since we have so many other interests. That is a very good idea, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, do you think so? Yes, indeed. I had so many other interests myself. I sold all my drugstores to a New York chain last month. Goodbye. Oh, this is one of my bad days. Yes, now maybe I'll get a little peace and quiet for a while. <laughs> then Leroy, he ain't with you, huh? No, he's gone to see a movie. I always enjoy the movie show Leroy sees. I can rest so nicely while he's there. <laughs> uh, excuse me for saying so, Mr. Gilsley, but you seem to be acting kind of skitterish lately. Uh, skitterish? Oh, you mean nervous. <laughs> well, yes, if you prefer your language without any flavor to it. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose I have been a bit jumpy. Leroy has been trying to make another George Washington out of me, and... I've been telling the truth until I'm red, white, and blue in the face. Well, what you need is a little rest. Yeah, that's right. And thank goodness you got rid of that tax assessor. Oh, but Mr. Gildersleeve... Can you imagine what a tax bill I'd have with Leroy around to gum up the works? <laughs> shh, Mr. Gildersleeve. Why should I shh, Mr. Gildersleeve? There's nothing to hear me here, is there? Yes, that supper man, he's right in the living room. The who? I couldn't get rid of him. Oh, sometimes I'd like to be a hermit if I could find a nice warm cave. All right, Bertie, it isn't your fault. Well, well, I didn't know anybody was waiting for me. Uh, uh, how do you do, sir? Mr. Gildersleeve? Yeah, that's me. My name is Showers, Mr. Gildersleeve. I'm from the city. Oh, yes, the maid told me. You want to get a valuation on that drugstore we own. That's right. I've been down there several times and never could catch you in, so I came out here. Hope you don't mind. Oh, not at all. Pay your taxes and help smash the axes. That's my slogan. <laughs> Suppose we go down to the drugstore now so you can get a small idea of what to assess us. <laughs> Have you got a car? Oh, yes, but I'm saving rubber, so I left it home. Think that's a good idea? Oh, a splendid idea. In fact, I like it so much, I'm going to leave mine home, too. Come on, we'll walk. Well, I didn't realize it was so far down here. Uh, neither did I. Remind me to treat you to a corn plaster. <laughs> well... Let's get started. Just haul out your notebook and shoot the questions to me. All right. Suppose we begin with those neon signs outside, the ones that read Quig's Open All Night Pharmacy. Uh, what do they worth? Oh, about $25, $20, $15. For the both of them, of course. They look like they cost a lot more. Yeah, that's true. But they haven't much resale value. 
Where are you going to find anyone named Quiggs who is not only a druggist, but also stays up nights? <laughs> yeah. No, on second thought, I don't think they're worth more than $10. Uh, signs, uh, ten dollars. Yeah. Now, inside, how about the soda fountain? That looks very nice and new. Oh, the seats are pretty worn. I'll show you what I mean. Young man, I wonder if you mind standing up a minute. Oh, Leroy, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm having a double nut chocolate sundae with whipped cream and a lemon phosphate to wash it down. <laughs> What's the matter? Are you getting tired of banana splits? Yeah, I've had three of them already. You... What are you and that man doing, Unc? Nothing that need concern you, my boy. Excuse the interruption, Mr. Showers. Uh, now, what were we saying? How long have you had that soda fountain? Oh, uh, quite a long time. Oh, not this one, Uncle Ward. Don't you remember? Uh, you paid $3,000 for it right after the first of the year. Uh, $3,000, eh? Yeah. Isn't it lucky I have my little nephew here to remind me? <laughs> Say, do you want me to help you in case you forget anything else, Unc? No, Leroy. Uh, why don't you have some more nice ice cream? <laughs> You're a growing boy, and you need the vitamins. Well, thanks, but I'll have to wait a little while before I can eat any more. Uh, I'll just tag along with you. Oh, that'll be Ducky. Yeah, Donald Ducky. <laughs> uh, now, uh, what is your next question, Mr. Showers? How about these other fixtures? The cigar counter, the perfume displays, and uh, these glass cabinets. Oh, well, to tell the truth, they're new, too. Yes, to tell the truth. Uh, the bill for them came to uh, $4,400. Well, that takes care of the fixtures. How about the merchandise? Have you got an inventory? What's an inventory, Unc? Something you invent? If, Leroy, please, I have enough headaches as it is. If, an inventory is a list of all the things a drugstore has that are just as good as the things folks come in for that you're out of. Yes, I suppose you took one last month. I suppose we did. I'll have to ask the cashier. Oh, uh, Miss Capstaff? Yes? Oh, hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. Your little nephew was just in here looking for you. Did you see him? Oh, of course you must have seen him because here he is right beside you. Hello, Leroy. Uh, <laughs> uh, Miss Capstaff, would you please bring out the drug inventory we made last month? Yeah, and don't forget the one for cigars and candy and, and hardware and paint and powder, Uncle. Oh, yes, I was forgetting them, wasn't I? Bring them all here, Miss Capstaff. <laughs> all righty. I'll be right back. I know exactly where they are, either in a safe or filed away or behind the prescription counter. Yes. While we're waiting, don't forget to tell the man about the big refrigerator we have downstairs and that new dishwasher in the kitchen. Yeah, keep it up, Leroy, and you're going to be the new dishwasher in the kitchen. Uh, oh, yes, Mr. Showers, I'd forgotten about them. You see, they set us back somewhere in the neighborhood of... Uh... $837.21. Uh, well, the boy has an uncanny knack for figures. He'll probably turn out to be an accountant when he grows up. If he grows up. <laughs> oh, well, here comes Miss Capsack, back with the inventories. Oh, here we are, Mr. Gildersleeve. I also found a list of all the merchandise we bought since the inventory was taken. Do you want that, too? Oh, yes, you might as well. Here you are, Mr. Showers. Is there anything else you'd like to know? There's a matter of goodwill and outstanding accounts. Oh, gee, we got a lot of goodwill on account of we got so many outstanding accounts. Yep. Leroy, that'll be all. Not another word out of you or... I won't say anything, Uncle. Uh, I, uh, I should judge that goodwill was worth about $1,500. And our accounts receivable. Oh, I was talking to Mr. Fish, the bookkeeper, about them only yesterday, and he says that they amount to around 1000 and he thinks that uh, you... Thank you, Miss Capstaff. That'll be all. Oh, are you sure there's nothing else? No, Miss Capstaff, you've done enough. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Uh, now, Mr. Showers, have you got all the information you want? Yes, according to my figures, the valuation on this property will run to about uh, 28500 Oh, 28500 jumping jelly beans. How much of a tax will we have to pay on that? 
<laughs> I might as well confess, Mr. Gildersleeve, I'm not the tax assessor. What? You're not? Then, then why, why did you say you were? I didn't. You just got that notion all by yourself. Huh? You see, I figured I could get a pretty low, honest valuation on this store if I let you go ahead assuming that I was. But then, who are you? I'm an appraiser hired by the city drug chain. They're going to make you an offer to buy this place based on the figures I just got. Oh, gee, isn't that wonderful? Yes, my boy. I hope you've learned your lesson from this. Honesty always pays, Leroy. <laughs> the Great Gildersleeve will be with us again in a few minutes. But right now, let me remind you mothers and housewives that these days call for energy. Every one of us is working harder than ever. That's why the energy-producing foods are so important. Foods like parquet margarine, made by Kraft. You see, parquet margarine is one of the best energy foods you can serve. It helps to refuel the body and replace energy used up in hard work or play. What's more, wholesome, nourishing parquet margarine is a dependable year-round source of vitamin A. Yes, every pound of parquet contains 9,000 units of this important vitamin. Now, of course, food value is mighty important, but flavor is important, too. Well, parquet margarine is outstanding on both scores. Yes, whether you use parquet margarine as a spread for bread, a flavor shortening for baking, or for pan frying, you'll find it has a luscious, tempting flavor your family's sure to like. Best of all, parquet margarine is economical. It can save you money every day. So why not try it? Kraft's delicious economical margarine called parquet. P-A-R-K-A-Y. Across, didn't I, Unc? Yes. Leroy, and now that all, all I have to worry about is where to invest that money again. Oh, no, you don't, Uncle Moore. I know just where it'll be safest and do the most good. Oh, where's that, Leroy? Good old United States defense bonds. Oh, I, of course. Uncle Sam can put to work every dollar we can spare. Hey, good night, folks. <laughs> with us again next week at the same time for the further adventures of The Great Gildersleeve. This program came to you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company. For a Christian sci-fi with adventure, drama, and a touch of romance, read Quantum Spacewalker, Anira's assignment. Anira Henderson was used to dealing with every kind of trauma in her job as an emergency room tech. Then, the disaster that wiped out her family, except for her brother Jarl, landed tragedy squarely on her own lap. In the midst of her grief, she is recruited to join an elite force of universe healers. Fixing radically broken things has always been her life's dream. But, this just took it to a whole new level. Read Quantum Spacewalker, and Nira's assignment by Grace S. Gross. <laughs> Shadow 
Your local blue coal dealer presents The Shadow. These half-hour dramatizations are designed to forcibly demonstrate to old and young alike that crime does not pay. Before we start the first act of today's Shadow story, attention homeowners. If you want better heat with less furnace attention, here's what you do. Get in touch with your nearest blue coal dealer. Order a supply of blue coal, the fine quality hard coal that's been mined and prepared by the most modern methods and laboratory tested for quality. You'll find that blue coal offers you by far the most for your money in heating comfort and satisfaction. Don't fail to try it. Order your supply of blue coal tomorrow. The Shadow, mysterious character who aids those in distress, is in reality Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the unseen voice belongs. Today's story, Friend of Darkness. They hardly need that, and most would rather not have it. They would rather win an appreciation of their attainments and talents. When one faculty is denied us, nature compensates by developing others. To illustrate that point, I've invited here to my home a young man who has been blind from birth. I take pleasure now in presenting to you Mr. Peter Blair. And, uh, oh yes, I want you to meet Peter's best friend, his guide and companion. Ladies and gentlemen, meet Rex. <laughs> Peter is going to demonstrate how generously nature has compensated him for the loss of his sight. We'll need a couple of volunteers to help with this. Um, Lamont Cranston, will you be a courageous soul and come up here in front of all these nice people? <laughs> all right, Margot. I hope I'm not going to be sawed in half or anything like that. No, Lamont, it's usually a woman that's sawed in half. <laughs> right. Now, we need one more volunteer. Um, Commissioner Weston, I know you're not afraid of a crowd. Would you be so kind? Uh, uh, gladly, Miss Lane, gladly. That's fine. <laughs> now that we have our volunteers, I turn the platform over to you, Peter. Thank you, Miss Lane. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, I first want to express my deep appreciation to Miss Lane and all you ladies and gentlemen who are launching this campaign for the economic and industrial advancement of the blind. As Miss Lane has told you, nature generously compensates for the loss of the sight faculty. In my case, I've been endowed with a rare sense of touch, and I'll show you now to what extent that faculty has been developed. I hold in my hand a piece of steel three inches thick. Uh, Commissioner Weston, uh, would you hold this piece of steel against your chest? Uh, uh, yes, of course. Uh, thank you. And uh, now, Mr. Cranston, will you take the Commissioner's hand and hold your middle finger on his pulse? Certainly. Come, come, Weston. Come. Uh, <laughs> there we are. <laughs> I suppose that's the first time you two men have been asked to hold hands. <laughs> now, ladies and gentlemen... I'm going to place my fingers on the piece of steel that's against Commissioner Weston's chest. I'll count the beat of the Commissioner's heart through this steel. And Mr. Cranston will verify my count by the pulse beat. And we'll start on a signal from Miss Lane. All right now, Miss Lane, whatever you say. All right, when I say go. Go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight... Nine, ten. Stop. The commissioner's heart beat ten times. 
We stopped on the 11th beat, Mr. Cranston? Correct. Ten beats called exactly on the beat. Where's the Skinner, Joe? He's out with that police dog Prince he bought, teaching him something, he says. I wonder what the Skinner has up his sleeve. He's been training that mutt for the past month. I don't get it. First he holds us up in his shack, and then he goes in for dog training. It's got me. Shut up. Here he comes. Hello, Skinner. Hi, Skinner. How'd the mutt do tonight? I did okay. He's a smart hound. I had to slap him around a bit, but he gets the idea after a while. Come here, Smokely. Certainly, Skinner. Hey, uh... Well, I guess this is the night. Night for what? To pull the stunt I've been planning on for a couple of months. You mean you got something on the fire? Yeah. They're gonna make some real dough. No penny ante stuff this time. See, I thought we was gonna spend our lives just training that mud. That hound is gonna be more important to stunt I've got in mind than either of you guys. What's on the slate? Ah, eh, you'll find out. There's a clipping I cut out of a paper about a month ago. What is it? A popular and beautiful Margot Lane launches Society for the Economic and Industrial Advancement of the Blind. Oh, that's very interesting. You ain't going into society, are you? Shut up, Dope. There's a lot of stuff here about this Margot Lane, but here's what interests me. Among the demonstrations that amazed the guests was the feat performed by Peter Blair. Blind from birth, Blair registered the heartbeat of a guest through a thick piece of steel. This he did by placing the steel over the heart of one of the guests with his own fingers on the outer side. So what? So we can use that guy. Anybody that can feel a heartbeat through a piece of steel could feel a tumblers fall in the safe. That's swell, but how are you going to get the guy? Kidnap him? Next, next. That carries a death sentence in this state. Yeah. If you take a guy by physical force, it does. But it wouldn't be kidnapping if the guy walked in here without us laying a hand on him, would it? You think the guy's nuts enough to do that? I'm going to make him do it. How? Prince here will do it for us. This guy Blair is led around by a big police dog. Just like Prince here. Rex is his name. Takes his dog to the park for exercise every night. We're going to watch for him tonight. When he lets his dog off the leash, we grab him and leave Prince in his place. They'll lead Blair here. Right. This shack is between the park and Blair's home. Hey, that sounds all right, but wait a minute. What'll Prince do when we beat him? Prince won't move from where I put him till he hears the name Rex. And he'll go to whoever says it. Oh. Oh. That's what you've been teaching him, Nance. About names, eh? That and about everything Blair's dog does. Boy, that's thinking I'm up, believe me. Well, when do we go? Right now. I'll drive out of the park and wait for Blair. Come on, Prince. You're one of the gang now. There's Peter Blair now, sitting on that bench over there. Is that his dog running around? Yeah. Joe let Prince out of the car. Right. This is where we make the switch. Okay. Come on, Prince. Come on. Now, as soon as we get Rex over here to the car, we'll trade dogs. Prince, speak. Speak. Hey, look. The other mud stopped dead in his tracks. And now he's answering back. Here he comes. All right, Prince. All right, boy, do your stuff. Ready to grab Blair's dog, you guys? I'm all set. He won't get away. Hello, Rex. Nice, Rexy. Come here, boy. Oh, that's a good fella. All right, fellas, grab and muzzle him. I got him, Skinner. In the car with a big snappy. Shut up. You will find your boss in a little while. Okay. Okay, Skinner, we're all set. Dog's in the car. Right. Now lie down on the grass, Prince. That's it. Now stay put till Blair calls for Rex. No, 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 boy. Down, down. 
That Prince ain't moving a muscle. Boy, you sure got him trained. Red, time to go home. Come on, Red. Look at Prince. You heard him call. Red, over. Say, look at Prince jump all over Blair. Like he knew him all his life. Uh, he'll never know it ain't Rex. Will you look at that? Prince is leading the guy right out of the park. Right out of the park and right into our hands. <laughs> Hey, you're acting a bit strange tonight, Rex. Is something wrong? Hey, why don't you answer me? Ah, you're sulking, are you? <laughs> that certainly isn't like you. I'm surprised. What are you, what are you stopping here for, Rex? We're not near home yet. Is the car coming? <coughs> well, you found your voice at last. Rex, you, you've taken me to somebody's door. Stop pulling like... Rex! Rex, stop! What... Where am I? What, what place is this? Is anybody here? Take it easy, buddy. You're among friends. Margot, you're all excited. Is something wrong? Oh, yes, Lamont. A terrible thing has happened. Well, sit down and tell me about it. No, Lamont, I can't sit down, and neither can you. We've got to get to work this minute. Well, what is it, Margot? Do you remember that nice blind boy? Peter Blair? Yes, that's right. He's gone. Gone? I was just talking to his mother on the no, phone. No, well, wait, Margot. Wait, calm yourself. Now, tell me, where has he gone? Well, I don't know. Nobody knows. He's disappeared. His dog with him. And when did this happen? Well, he left the house last night for his usual nightly walk with Red. He hasn't been heard from since. His poor old mother's nearly mad with anxiety. Come on, Margot. We've got to start from where Peter Blair started and see if it won't lead us somewhere. Now, take it easy, Blair. Nobody's going to hurt you. Oh, I don't care what you do with me. What have you done with my dog, Rex? He's okay for the time being. One of the boys are feeding him down in the cellar. Now, let's you and me get down to business. Oh, get it over with us. I have no money if that's what you're after. No, but you can get plenty for us. At least you can help us get it. Help you? What do you mean? Ah, uh, here's a dope. We've got a line on how to get into the State Street Bank. There's plenty of dough in that big vault. All you've got to do is plant them educated fingers of yours against the vault door and tell us when a tumbler's fall. Uh, you mean you want me to help you rob a bank? That's just what we want, and that's just what you're going to do. Oh, you must be mad to think I'd do anything like that. Look here, Blair. I try to be nice to you. I guess it ain't the right treatment. I got another medicine. A pretty bitter dose. What, what do you mean? Want to keep your dog, don't you? Rex, of course. I, I'd be lost without him. He, he's my eyes. He sees for me. You're going to the bank with us tonight or else? Oh, oh you wouldn't. You, you wouldn't hurt Rex. That, that'd be as bad as killing a person, a helpless human. You're going to do what we say or not? Oh, I couldn't. I, I'd be a criminal. I couldn't do it. Okay. You've had your chance. Marty. Yes, Skinner. What are you going to do? Go find out. Have you got your gun, Marty? Yeah. And I count ten, I want you to plug that dog a blast. Oh, no. No, no, you can't. Yeah, that's just how long you've got to make up your mind. To the count of ten. One. Oh, you wouldn't do that. You couldn't. Two. Three. No, Rex. Rex. Four. No. Five. Please, please, for God's sake. Six. Seven. Eight. Wait, wait. All right. I'll do it. We'll continue with the second half of The Shadow's Adventure in just a moment. 
You know, householders, it's pretty hard to beat the satisfaction of having a perfectly heated home. And it's great to know that the fuel you're using is 100% safe, always dependable, and that it keeps furnace attention down to an absolute minimum. Now, that's exactly the kind of all-around heating comfort and satisfaction Blue Coal provides for thousands of American families every year. And if you haven't yet tried this superior quality fuel, don't put off a real treat. I can tell you that Blue Coal is America's finest hard coal, finest because it's mined from Pennsylvania's richest deposit. And then it's sized, screened, and prepared by the nation's largest hard coal producer, the Glen Alden Company. I can tell you, too, that each carload of blue coal undergoes a thorough laboratory test to ensure its quality before it leaves the yard. But if you'll just try blue coal and ask for it by name when you order your next fuel supply, then your heating problems will be over. For you'll find that blue coal requires less furnace attention, and your family will appreciate blue coal's steadier, more dependable heat. Just see if I'm not right. Call your nearest Blue Coal dealer tomorrow. His name is listed in the Where to Buy It section of your classified phone directory under the words Blue Coal. Well, good morning, Commissioner Weston. Cranston. He must have ridden down here with a milkman. What are you doing around at this hour? I've been anxious to know what the police are doing about the disappearance of Peter Blair. Oh, you've got your fist in that now, huh? Very much so, Commissioner. What news have you? None. We've been dragging the river for his body all night, but we've found no trace yet. I don't expect you will. Why not? That's the most likely place to find him. How do you think he was drowned? Well, he was blind, wasn't he? He probably walked off the end of the pier. I'm afraid, Commissioner, you underestimate his dog. That animal would never lead Peter Blair near enough to fall into water. Well, and he might have jumped off, committed suicide. What of the dog? Do you believe he also committed suicide? Certainly not. But if he saw his master go off the pier, he might follow him. That's likely what happened. The dog was drowned going after his master. I admit that such devotion is characteristic of dogs like Rex. But I'm afraid your water theory doesn't hold water. Cranston, it's too early in the morning to get into an argument with you. I don't want to start my day off wrong. Now, will you... Uh, your phone's ringing, Commissioner. I know it's ringing. <laughs> there goes your day. Hello. Commissioner Weston speaking. What's that? A State Street Bank. Why, that's... Uh, when did this happen? Yes. Yes, I'll be right down. Well, what do you know about that? What's up, Commissioner? The State Street Bank was robbed last night. The big vault was cleaned out. Why, I, I can't believe it. it. It's impossible. It happened. It couldn't. It did. Oh, shut up. <laughs> well, this vault was opened by a cracksman. He's the best one that ever lived. There's not a mark on the vault anywhere. No drills, no soup, nothing. Just open, that's all. That seems to have been enough for the gang's purpose, Commissioner Weston. Cranston, if you're going to let loose a theory, I'll lock you in that vault until I've completed this investigation. I wouldn't lock anyone in that one if I were you, Commissioner. It's too easy to open. Then keep out from under my feet. Have you formed an opinion yet as to how this thing was accomplished? Yes, I have. There's only one way it could be done. Only a person who knew the combination could have opened that vault. Then you think it's an inside job? Obviously. It would be impossible otherwise. I'll grant you it has all the earmarks of an inside job. 
Still, it doesn't seem possible that an employee would take such a chance. No, it doesn't, eh? Well, how do you think it was done, then? It certainly is baffling. Say, Commissioner, I just thought of something. Yeah, what? Do you remember the night Margot launched the Society for the Advancement of the Blind? Yes. Do you recall Peter Blair, the boy who counted your heartbeat through a piece of steel? Yes, yes, I remember that. By George, I see it now. He could feel the tumblers in the safe just as he did the beat of my heart. There may be others with a talent such as that. Cranston, you hit something at last. Oh, thanks. Why didn't I think of him before? Why, he's the only man in the world who could have done this job. Say, just a minute, Commissioner. You don't by any chance think Peter Blair robbed this bank. Why, the whole thing ties in perfectly. He disappears mysteriously. The bank is robbed. Say, Blair's our man, all right. No, Commissioner. He'd never do anything. Cranston, he's the only one who could do it. I've been hunting him dead. Now I'm after Peter Blair, dead or alive. What are you hollering about, Blair? We're only asking you to do one more job for us. And we'll beat it out of town and you can go home with your dog. Oh, but I can't do it again. I just can't. You'll do it all right. This job is a cinch. We got almost an open door to the National Bank. All right, men, here's a setup. Now, the watchman has coffee delivered from a lunch wagon every night at about 12 o'clock. He takes it from a kid at the side door. All we have to do is follow the kid into the alley, stick a gun in his ribs, make him ring the bell just as he always does. When the watchman opens the door to get his coffee, we go in. Not into it. Oh, you'll be caught sooner or later, Skinner. All right, Blair, it'll be later. Come on, fellas, let's go. Right. Oh, Joe. Yeah? I want you to stay here and get things together for the getaway. We're leaving town right after this job. What do you want me to do? Clean out everything. Don't leave a thing behind, get me? Uh-huh. No evidence. Right. Don't leave a thing. Yeah. How about Blair? We'll handle him on the way back. Right. All right, you guys, into the car. Marty, take care of Blair. Come on, get right. gone, you. What's the matter, Mutt? You crying for your boss? Well, you won't miss him long. Skinner said clean up everything. That means you, too. And you, too, Prince. Your number's up. I guess I might as well get it over with. Shut up. Hey, hey, Rex, get back there. Get back. Holy mackerel, right through the window. Hey, Prince, get down there. Get down. Get down. Crazy mutts. When did Rex get home, Mrs. Blair? Just a few minutes before I called you, Mr. Cranston. And he brought this other dog home with him. I see. Wait. He is exactly like Rex. The same markings. But no, boy, no. We're not talking about you. So, Mrs. Blair. Uh, yes, Mr. Cranston. Have you noticed that this other dog responds when he hears the name Rex? Yes, yes. He acts like Rex in every way. By George, I see it now, Mrs. Blair. This dog has been used as a substitute to lure your son away. What is it, Rex? What are you trying to tell me? Mr. Cranston, Rex is pulling you toward the door. Yes. Uh, you keep the other dog here, Mrs. Blair. All right, Mr. Cranston. Margot, Margot. Yes, Lamar. Follow us in the car. All right, Rex, old boy. I think I understand. Come on. Easy, Rex. Easy. I wonder why you've led us into this lonely neighborhood. Oh, what this hill is it, boy? Huh? Uh, Margot, stop the car. I think he's trying to call your attention to that shack up there, Lamar. Yes, Margot. Evidently, that's where Peter Blair is or was. Turn off the headlamps, Margot. Wait here. 
the shadows going to see what or who is in that shack. Be careful, Lamont. I will, Margot. Come along, Riggs. Come on, boy. Come on. Yeah, somebody's in here, all right. Let's see. The door's locked. Speak, Rex. That's a boy. Yeah, somebody's coming. Well, so you come back, huh, Mutt? Get in here. Come on. You won't get away this time. The Skinner said clean up everything. Hey, am I hearing things? So the Skinner told you to clear up everything, eh? What? What was that? I don't see nobody. Who left? I did. Who are you? I am the Shadow. Shadow? The guy nobody can see. Yes. Where is Peter Blair? I ain't telling you nothing. I'm getting out of here. Stay where you are. I'm getting out of here. I'll shoot my way out. Drop that gun. Oh, let go. Let go. Let go. Let go. What do you want from me? I want you to tell me where Peter Blair is. Uh, I'll tell you if you let me out of here. I won't bargain with you. I'm interested only in Peter Blair for the moment. All right. All right, I ain't going to be the fall guy in this. Blair is with the Skinner. Where? They're robbing the National Bank right now. Hello? Commissioner Weston speaking. Commissioner, this is the shadow. I've got to talk fast, so listen carefully. The National Bank is being robbed right at this moment. Robbed? By whom? Skinner Cross and his gang. They've got Peter Blair with them. Oh, so my dope was right. He's the guy that's been doing the dirty work. Don't be a fool. Blair is innocent. The gang is forcing him to do this. Yeah, so is Skinner Krause innocent. The boys are just doing this as a lie. Commissioner, you've got to believe me. That boy is not a criminal. Maybe not, but I'm not taking any chances. What do you mean? That Skinner gang is a bad outfit. I'm taking a squad of men over to that bank with orders to shoot to kill. Commissioner, you can't do that. You may kill an innocent boy. The order is shoot to kill. Margot, we've got to get to the National Bank before Weston. What happened, Lamont? Peter Blair may be killed by the police. Hurry, Margot. Drive as fast as you can. Okay, hold it. All right, Blair, what did you get on that turn? Fifty-five. Okay, spin the dial again, kid. Left this time. All right, stop. It's the last turn. We open now. What's the number, Blair? I'm not going to tell you. What? No, I'm not going to be party to robbery anymore. You tell me that number, I'll blow your head oh, off. Go ahead, you'll do it anyway, so so I can't give information to the police I'll later. I'll give you one more chance. You going to tell us the number? No, I'm not. Why, you... What's that? Side doorbell. Who could it be? Maybe a friend of the watchman. What are we going to do, Skinner? Got to answer it, otherwise I wonder what happened to the watchman. Come on, all of you. All right, all right come on. As soon as I open this up, you grab whoever it is, drag him inside. Right. All right, here we are. You guys get back there. Palm your rods. Okay. I'll open it up. Uh, what is this? Nobody out here. What? That's funny. What do you make of it, Skinner? I don't like it. Better finish this job quick and scram. <laughs> you better not wait to finish the job, Skinner. Who was that? The Shadow. Shadow? Yes. I've got no time to waste, Skinner. Circumstances force me to be here alive for the moment. I've got to warn you that the police are on their way here with orders to shoot to kill. I ain't falling for that, Shadow. Maybe the guy's telling the truth, Skinner. I'd hardly warn you if it weren't necessary to save the life of an innocent man. Listen, Skinner, the cops, you hear him? Yeah, it's a straight guts. Scram, fellas, beat Don't leave me here. The, the police will shoot me. Don't be afraid, Peter. Just do as I say. Follow the sound of my voice and I'll lead you out. Skinner and his gang 
wrong, Peter. We've got to hurry. This way, Peter. Close your gun, friend. There he is. A real brains of the gang. We've caught up with you, Blair. Just a minute, Commissioner. The shadow? Yes, Commissioner. You certainly got here fast. Just barely fast enough to keep you from making a complete fool of yourself. Where's my dog? Where's Rex? What's happened to him? He's in a car not far from here. If you call out loud enough, he'll hear you. What? Rex? 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 It's he. It's Rex. He's hurt me. Now, see here, Shadow. I'm not going to let this fellow off so easy. He's got a lot of explaining to do. Very well, Commissioner. It'll all be explained so even you will understand. Oh, Rex. Rex, old fellow. Oh, I thought sure you were done for. I'm so glad you're all right. Hey, George. I never, I've never seen a dog act so happy. <laughs> Cute son of a gun. Come on, Blair. I, I think we can talk this thing over. <laughs> well, you've got two fine animals now, Peter. You going to keep them both? No, Mr. Cranston. I, I'm going to give Prince to a sightless friend. You'll be a great companion for him. No doubt about it. Look at Rex and Prince gobble that ice cream. <laughs> I don't know how to thank you, Mr. Cranston, and you too, Miss Lane, for everything you've done for oh, us. Oh, don't mention it, Peter. I wish it were possible to thank our invisible friend, the Shadow, too. I'm sure he feels your gratitude, Peter. I'll wager that none of his exploits brought him more satisfaction than the apprehension of the Skinner and his gang. Men do terrible things... But the man is particularly depraved who would rob the sightless of a great and devoted friend, his dog. And now here's Blue Coal's eating expert, John Barclay. Thank you, Ken Roberts, and good afternoon, friends. One investment every homeowner can make, which will pay big returns in comfort and convenience, is to install a blue coal heat regulator. I've heard some people say what time and trouble savers their oil and gas burners are. But those people forget that their oil and gas burners are dependent upon thermostat control for their heating performance and for maintaining an even degree of temperature. By simply installing a blue coal heat regulator for your coal furnace, you too can control room temperatures and enjoy exactly the same kind of heating comfort that the most expensive oil or gas burner could give you. The blue coal heat regulator is a thermostat which controls your furnace dampers automatically. All you need do is set the thermostat control at the exact temperature you wish. Your heat regulator will maintain that temperature day and night. What's more, it will stop your house from becoming overheated in warmer weather and save you from wasting coal. Get in touch with your nearest blue coal dealer. He'll be glad to show you how a blue coal heat regulator can pay for itself in the time, trouble, and amount of coal it saves you. I thank you. Today's program is based on a story copyrighted by The Shadow Magazine. All the characters and all the places named are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. The Shadow Magazine is now on sale at your local newsstand.
shadow knows. <laughs> Next week, same time, same station, Blue Coal, America's finest anthracite, will again present another thrilling adventure of the shadow. Be sure to listen. And be sure to burn Blue Coal, the solid fuel for solid comfort. territory on west, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, the story of a man who moved with it, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Mr. Dillon? Well, I don't know where you're going, Chester, but I'm going to get myself a haircut. Say, I need a haircut, too. I cost two bits these days, you know. Well, I didn't say I was going to get one, Mr. Dillon. <laughs> Not till the weather gets hot, anyway. Well, I hope you're saving up for it, Chester. You know a man oughtn't to have to spend money on things like haircuts? Well, why don't you get married and let your wife cut it for you? Mr. Dillon, that'd be like buying a whole cow just to get one piece of steak. <laughs> You know, Chester, I got an idea. Your hair's going to get longer and longer. Look, a little more than down to my nose now. <laughs> Excuse me, mister. What's the matter with you? Can't you see good? I was looking at my hair. Well, maybe you could look at it easier if I scalped you. All right, now, just take your hand off that knife, mister. I said I was sorry. Anybody bumps into Lou Quiller better be sorry. Take it easy, mister. He didn't hurt you. What are you cutting in on this for? There's enough fighting in Dodge without anything as silly as this. What do you care about how much fighting there is? That's my job. I'm a U.S. Marshal. Oh. You say your name's Quiller? <laughs> you never heard it, Marshal. I ain't wanted nowhere. Maybe not. But the way you're going, you soon will be. Yeah. I'm going to give me a drink. Mean, ain't he? Yeah, he's just another hard case. Just to Dodge is full of them. Well, here's the barbershop. I'll be back at the office in about a half hour. Yes, sir. Right over here, Marshal. Oh, uh, hello, Cedar. You know, you are real lucky, Marshal. This place was full up an hour ago. Oh? You can hang your coat and stuff on the wall there. All That's right. right. Now, the rate you're going, Titus, Dodge will have a lot of pretty respectable-looking citizens by nightfall. A man ought to get his hair cut every month or so, Marshal. Yeah? I keep telling them all that. Here, let me get this sheet across you. Yeah. There we are. But most of them don't care. They'd sooner go around looking like wild animals. 
And that's what they are, just plain wild animals. Uh, they so? don't think of nothing, Marshal, but drinking and fighting and tearing things apart. Oh, have a chair, young fellow. I'll be ready for you in a few minutes. I don't want a haircut. I don't want a shave. Well, I'll take care of you. Just hang your coat up right there next to Marshal Dillon's. Marshal Dillon? You really a marshal, mister? Yeah, that's right. Marshals and sheriffs are one of a kind. Killed my paw. That's what happened. Now, is that so? Now, who's your paw? My paw's dead. Back in Alamosa. I got a grudge against lawmen. I got a grudge against all of them. Look, fella, why don't you sit down over there? You're awful drunk for so early in you the day. You shut up, barber. So that's your coat over there, huh, Marshal? Yes, it's his. It's gonna be real easy. I think I'll shoot me a marshal. Watch. I got a gun under this sheet, fella. No, you ain't. It's pointing right at your belly. Your gun belt's hanging over there under your coat. You can't see it, can you? No. But it's there. You're gambling with your life, fella. You start for your gun and you're gonna die. I don't believe you. Now get out of here. Go on. Walk out that door. Slow now. You was going to have to kill him, sure, Marshal. Darn fool kid. It wouldn't have been easy, Teeters. What? I bluffed him. My gun's hanging under my coat over there. Is that so? <laughs> well, see, that's great, Marshal. You sure made a fool of him. Wait till I tell everybody about this. <laughs> Forget about it, Teeters. You <laughs> what? Nobody likes to be made a fool of. Might drive that boy into doing something to try to prove he isn't one. Oh, well, okay, Marshal, I won't say nothing. Yeah. Good. Oh, Sam, give me a beer, huh? Right up, Marshal. Evening, Matt. Hello, Kitty. Hey, that's a nice dress. Thanks. There's a Jonas out of the store ordered it for me. Uh, Came in on the sign-up plate from Kansas City today. <laughs> you know, Mr. Jonas was going to order me a couple of vests. Uh-huh. That was last fall, I think. Here's your beer, Marshal. Oh, thank you, Sam. Oh, say, I heard about you at the barber shop today. Oh, you did? Peters has been telling everybody about it. Yeah, I told him to keep it quiet. Well, he should have. That boy's name's Dave Robbins. He was in here a while ago, and everybody was laughing at him about it. Yeah. He said he was going to dig Teeter's tongue out of his head. I think that's how he put it. When did he leave, Kitty? Just a little while ago. With that ornery-looking Lou Quiller. Quiller? Yeah. Now, how did they happen to get together? Well, you think there might be trouble, Matt? <laughs> I'd better go find young Robbins, Kitty. I'll see you later. Sure. <laughs> I finally 
barely located him, Mr. Dillon. Huh? He's right next there in the oasis. Yeah, he would be in the last bar we looked at. Is Quiller with him? Yes, sir. Yeah. There's Dave, Mr. Dillon. He's sitting alone now. Now, will you stay here, Chester? Yes, sir. Hello, Dave. How'd you know my name? I heard it. You mind if I sit down? Wouldn't do much good if I did, would it? Uh, Dave, tell me about your paw, huh? What happened to him that got you so mad? It's none of your business. Well, you were about to shoot me for it this afternoon. Nah, even drunk I wouldn't have shot you. Not like that. I was bluffing too, Marshal. And I was awful drunk. I, uh, told the barber to shut up about all that, Dave. You did? Well, I kind of figured that you wouldn't be very proud of it. Why do you care how I'd feel? Dave, there are enough hard cases around now. Like Quiller over there. And you're about to become another one. Now, you leave Teeters to me. I'll talk to him. Stopping his talk now won't do any good. People are already laughing at me. Look, Dave, I've been bluffed myself. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, Look, I, I, I'd still like to hear about your paw. Uh, you say a sheriff killed him out in Alamosa? Shot him in the back. Paul wasn't even armed. Well, why did he do it? Paul was on to him. There was a bank holed up and nobody got caught, Marshal. And then Paul found out the sheriff had some of the money. Oh, after the sheriff killed Paul, I started to tell people the truth about it. But they didn't believe me. He put a rope on my feet, Marshal, and dragged me out of town. Oh, well, that's bad, Dave. But uh, lawmen are like any other people. There are all different kinds. Maybe. Now, that, that's true. You think about it. Uh, and Dave, don't let... Quiller talk you into anything, huh? And I'll have me some more of those chili peppers, Matt. Okay. There you are, Doc. Uh, thank you. You know, those peppers will make your hair straight, Doc. Oh, ten years ago, they might have. <laughs> you know, you must have been quite a lady killer then. I still keep my end up, Matt. Yeah, but you're slowing down, Doc. I've been noticing it. Oh, is that so? Well, how would you know anything about that? Well, uh, word gets around. Oh, Matt, you're the biggest liar in Dodge. Outside of General Parsley Smith. <laughs> well, you think the general's a liar? He claims he was on Robert E. Lee's staff. Says he rode into the Shenandoah Valley with Lee back in 63. Well, maybe he did. Oh, maybe. You know what he really was, Matt? He was the regimental butcher. Well, you can't expect him to go around bragging about that the rest of his life. Dylan, Doc. Oh, Chester. I, I just come by the barbershop, Mr. Dillon. There's quite a crowd outside. Well, what for? Well, sir, I got to look through the window, and Teeters is laying there with blood all over him. He looks dead to me. What? Young Dave Robbins is laying there, too. I think they went and killed each other.
return for the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first, because millions in Europe and Asia still have need for clothing and food relief, and because nonprofit care still sends more food and clothing per dollar spent, continue to give the careway for the relief of misery in foreign lands. Send your name and the name of the person you're helping with complete address to Care New York. Enclose ten dollars or six ninety five for the new budget parcel. Care New York. Now the second act of Gunsmoke. Chester, huh? you stable the door and keep everybody off. Yes, sir. Looks like they had quite a fight here, Matt. Well, let's find out if they're dead, Doc. Take a look at Cedars first. All right, we'll see. Oh, uh-oh. I thought so. What? He's got a broken jaw, Matt. Well, that wouldn't kill him. His neck's broken, too. And he's dead. Oh, poor fella. All right, let's look at Dave Robbins. Uh, uh, he isn't dead. I can see him breathing. He's got a lump on the back of his head, that's all. Dave, 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 oh. wake up. Wake up. Oh, yes. oh, he must have fallen and hit his head, Mac. Open your eyes, Dave. Oh. Doc. Doc. Yes, you're all right here. Sit up a little bit here. Oh. oh. He hit me, Doc. He hit me with his gun. There's no gun here, Dave, except yours. And I think I better take that right now. Marshal, Teeters is dead, ain't he? Yeah, he's dead. You must have hit him awful hard, Dave. You broke his neck. I didn't hit him. I tried to stop it. What happened, Dave? I didn't want to come here at all, but Quiller talked me into it. Quiller, huh? Yeah, he said we'd scare him a little and make him stop talking about me. But then Teeters didn't scare, and Quiller started beating him up. I tried to stop him, Marshal. Well, you're the one that's been threatening Teeters, Dave. What's Quiller care about him? I don't know. I don't know why he did it. Mm, you're going to have a hard time convincing anybody of that story, Dave. You believe me, Marshal? we find Quiller, I'll know whether to believe you or not. He won't be in Dodge. Not now. Have you got any idea where he might be? Well, he said something once about a deserted cabin he'd found up on Walnut Creek. But I don't even know where that is. I do. We'll look around Dodge first, and then we'll ride north. You mean you're taking me with you, Marshal? One of you is going to hang for murder, Dave. But as soon as we find Quiller, I'll know which one. Maybe Quiller ain't running at all, Mr. Dillon. Maybe he was coming up here anyway. No reason why he should run. He isn't guilty, Chester. 
I might have known nobody would believe me. Nobody ever has. Oh, you ain't hung yet, Dave. Hey, look. There's a cabin. The one Quiller told me about is hid under a bluff of some kind. Well, there's people in this one. A woman out back there. See her? That's not much of a cabin. Pull up, boy. Oh. oh. Let's leave the horses here. Look at that horse out there, Mr. Dillon. If that ain't the sorriest animal I ever laid eyes on. That horse is bedrock, Chester. Somebody's rode him too hard. Well, then they ought to shoot him. Uh, hello, ma'am. Who are you? Uh, my name's Dillon, ma'am. Is, uh, your husband around? No. He ain't around. Not no more. Not since this morning. Oh. Uh, is that a grave you're digging, ma'am? I made it real deep. I didn't want no sign of a grave here. Well, what happened to him? How'd he die? Man killed him. What? Rode by here this morning and killed him. Who rode by and killed him? I don't know. What difference does it make? Look, ma'am, I'm a lawman. I'm a U.S. Marshal. Now, will you tell me what happened, please? A Marshal, huh? You catch him and hang him, Marshal, but it won't bring my husband back. I gotta live here all alone now. I ain't even got a baby. I always wanted a baby. Can you tell me what the man looked like, ma'am? He come out on that horse out there. He took ours. My husband didn't want him to. He tried to stop him. I'll bet it was Quiller, Mr. Dillon. He's that mean. Was he a tall man, a black mustache, carrying a bowie knife in his gun belt? A knife. That's what he killed my husband with. Said he wouldn't waste a bullet on a dirt farmer. Sure sounds like him. Maybe you'll believe me now, Marshal. Quiller knows he can't hang twice. What's he care how many men he kills? Was he still heading north when he left here, ma'am? Over that way, Marshal. I stood here and watched him till he was plumb out of sight. Yeah. Well, uh, is there anything that we can do for you? bring the horse back unless he's ruined him like he done that one there. You'll have a horse, ma'am, I promise you. We'll stop on our way back. Goodbye. Don't bring that man here. I don't want to see him. All right, ma'am. I won't. Oh, that poor woman. He killed Teeters, too. You believe me now, don't you, Marshal? Just because he killed this man don't prove he killed Teeters, Dave. Now, wait till we find him. He'll own up to it. He's got to. He might, Dave, if we can take him alive. Oh. If you don't take him alive, then, then I'm in a bad spot, ain't I? Let's find that cabin before it gets dark. ever coming back, Chester. Mr. Dillon knows what he's doing, Dave. Doggone it, take it easy. Yeah, sure. Now, I got nothing to worry about. Yeah. There he comes now. We sit here too long, Quiller is sure to get wind of us. No, he ain't. He's probably laying around that cabin thinking he's safe as if he's in Texas. What'd you find, Marshal? Well, he's there, all right, but he's getting ready to move on. 
How you know? He's saddling his horse. Well, how are we going to stop him? Without shooting him, I mean. That's a long chance, but maybe we can surprise him and get the drop on him. Now, we're going to have to split up, Chester. One of us will wait on this side, and the other will have to go across the top of that bluff and wait on the other. All right, sure, I'll go. No. Now, you stay with me, Chester. What? Dave, here's your gun. A gun? Take it. I don't understand, Marshal. You go across the bluff. We'll wait for him if he rides out that way. How do you know I won't warn him and take sides with him? I don't know, Dave. I get moving. Okay. Mr. Dillon, you're, you're, you're taking an awful chance. He's got his choice, Chester. If he makes the right one this time, he just might go on making them. It's worth the chance. Now, come on, let's get over there. Chester, this is far enough. Quiller's getting on his horse. If he rides this way, we'll throw down on him at the same time. He might be surprised enough to give up. He's mounted. Yeah. Hope, look. He's going the other way. I sure hope Dave's going to stop it. There he is. Hold it, Quiller. Get your hands up. No, you don't. Come on, Chester. He went for his gun, Marshal. You shot him right in the head, Dave. He'd have killed me if I hadn't. Yeah. But now I... I can't prove nothing about Teeters. Maybe I should let him shoot me. It sure beats hanging. Uh, I can't win no how, Marshal. You could have warned him, Dave. It'd have been a fight with Chester and me, but you might have won that. I know. I was thinking about it all the time I was crossing the top of that bluff. Maybe I should have. But it's too late now. Here's my gun, Marshal. Now, keep your gun, Dave. Keep it? I believe you about Teeters. Marshal, I... I... I believed you right from the start, but I wanted you to prove something to yourself, Dave. And I think you have. Marshal, I... I'd kind of like to go back to Dodge with you. Maybe show everybody I ain't what they thought. Good, Dave. We'll be there by morning. Smoke, transcribed under the direction of Norman McDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Sam Edwards, Harry Bartell, Edmund Penny, and Vivi Janis. Parley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. 
fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. A dream can sometimes serve as nicely as the real thing. An old prospector convinces Gene Autry tomorrow evening on CBS Radio. Don't miss the adventure and Gene's songs, too. George Walsh speaking. This is the CBS Radio Network. Experienced seamen know better than anyone else that there is no substitute for experience at sea. And they know that in wartime, the merchant marine needs thousands of extra men to man the new Liberty ships. This is an emergency. The merchant marine is desperately in need of experienced men, especially licensed engineers and deck officers. If our merchant marine is to continue the fine job it has been doing, there must be thousands more experienced men to sail the ships. Apprentice seamen are doing their best, but they can't do the job alone. They must have your sea experience to lead the way. Now, if you're a licensed officer or have your certificate as an A.B. or fireman, oiler or water tender, sign on today. This is a job which you and you alone can fill. You and you alone know how to do it. Wire collect to Merchant Marine, Washington, D.C. Give your rating and address. Go back to sea and help get those supplies to our fighting men. Lieber Brothers Company, makers of Swan, the soap with the exclusive super-creamed blend, presents... Our friend, Swan, with my friend, Irma. Starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. Friendship, friendship, just a perfect blendship when other friendships have been forgotten. Theirs will still be hot. apartment together, I don't think one has any business telling the other how to live. However, if your roommate gets out of line once in a while, I believe it's perfectly all right to drop a gentle hint. After all, a word to the wise should be sufficient. Of course, if your roommate happens to be Irma Peterson, brother, there just ain't enough words in the dictionary. <laughs> now, please understand me, me, Jane Stacy. I love the girl. Now, go along with her, although sometimes it isn't easy. 
For instance, the other night I was telling her about the lovely dinner party that I attended. I remarked that the table was set with community plate, and Irma said... Community plate? I wouldn't want everybody eating from the same dish. <laughs> These things don't bother me. After living with Irma a while, you begin to feel like a handball court. Things just bounce off you. Besides, today is a day for celebration. Irma and I have bought a cute little spinet piano for our apartment. Of course, it's a luxury, but Irma and I are both working, and by skimping here and there, we'll be able to meet the payments. That reminds me. Honey. What, Jane? You know, we're going to make a payment on the piano today and on the 19th of every month, so I've worked out a little budget for us. Well, I'll do just as you say, Jane. That'll be swell, honey. Gee, i got to look over this work I brought home from the office. Oh, gee, Jane, your boss has such confidence in you. He trusts you with everything. Well, most bosses do. Not my boss. Mr. Clyde doesn't trust me with anything. He even puts pencils in the pencil sharpener for me. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Maybe he's tired of pointed erasers. <laughs> yeah, well, that happens once in a while. No, only yesterday he called me a bonehead. What for? Well, just as I was opening my lunch, he asked me to get the bank deposit ready, and I got confused. Confused? Yes, because he called me from the bank and said they would not pay interest on three tuna fish sandwiches. <laughs> well, honey, all jobs have their shortcomings. Not yours, Jane. You're a private secretary, and I'm a plain stenographer. And Mr. Clyde is always yelling at me, telling me I don't know my work. He can't find anything in the files, and when I run out of stamps, I have no business sending a letter C.O.D. <laughs> Well, honey, you should do something about it. I am. What? I'm going to ask for a raise. <laughs> You're going to ask for a raise? Well, Jane, you know, the more they pay you, the more they respect you. Oh, wait a minute, sweetie. You can't do that. We're skating on thin ice right now. We just bought a piano. There are payments to be met. And what if Mr. Clyde fires you? Me? Huh. He wouldn't dare. I'm indispensable. I'm going right down and talk to him. Irma, listen, now, sweetie, don't for worry, my Jane, sake. Now, just leave it to me. I know how to handle Mr. Clyde. Besides, he's hinted many times that I'm in solid with him. In solid with him? Yes, he's often said I had a head like a rock. <laughs> Wait, Irma, listen to no, me, no, honey. Please, Wait, Jane, when I come back, my position will be different. Goodbye. Well, Miss Peterson, what are you doing here on your afternoon off? I want to speak to you, Mr. Clyde. Well, please make it brief. This is the only chance I get to decipher what you've done all week. <laughs> By the way, as long as you're here, where did you file the letter to Smith and Smith? Where it belongs, under C. C. Mm-hmm. Cough drops. <laughs> Thank you. I had no trouble finding your letter to Liverpool. I looked under G. Oh, how did you know? Simple. Just remember your system. Liver is meat, a pool has water, water and meat makes gravy. Look under G. <laughs> now, uh, what's on your mind, Miss Peterson? Mr. Clyde, you know the things I do around this office. Yes. You know how I talk to the clients? Yes. You know how I take care of everything? Indeed I do. Well, I guess there isn't more to be said. There isn't. You're fired. <laughs> Hello, Jane. Oh, hello, Richard. I didn't expect you. What's on your mind? Oh, nothing. I just happened to be passing by and... Say, what's this? When did you get the piano? Just today. Oh. 
say. It's nice looking. Uh, hey, nice tone. Yeah. Irma and I always wanted one. It's expensive, but we'll pay it off slowly. Well, you should have a lot of pleasure from it. Oh, does Irma play? Uh, she knows one piece. Kitten on the keys. Oh. How does it sound? Like the cat is caught under the piano. <laughs> but then we both wanted it, and since we're both working, it won't be hard to me. Excuse me, Richard. Hello? Hello, Jane. Honey, where have you been so long? Oh, places. What do you mean, places? What happened with your raise? I didn't get it. Oh. Well, cheer up, honey. Maybe some other day. Yes, or some other company. <coughs> some other company? Jane, I got fired. Oh, Irma, won't you ever learn? How could you let yourself get fired at a time like this after we just bought a piano, we've got payments to meet up? Oh, don't worry, Jane. I have something good to tell you when I get home. Where are you? Around the corner. I wanted to break the news to you first. Oh. Well, hurry home. All right, Jane. Uh, I'm in the middle of a banana spit, but I'll ask them to put it in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, honey. Oh, what is she up to now? Now, don't let it upset you, Jane. Oh, Richard, where does that girl get her talent for doing the worst possible thing at the wrong time? So help me, if she wanted to join the Daughters of the American Revolution, she'd get Tokyo Rose to sponsor her. Well, is there any way that I can be of help? No, 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 Richard, please. Now, Irma and I bought this piano. We're going to pay for it. I can meet my share of the obligation, and Irma will just have to pay hers from the $100 savings she has in the bank. Hello, Jane. Oh, hello, Richard. Hello, Irma. Oh, I was just leaving. I'll see you later, Jane. Goodbye. Bye. Jane, you're not angry at me because I was fired. Well, frankly, I am, Irma. You were a fool to get yourself fired just when we needed the money so badly. But you'll probably get another job in a week or so. We can make the payment on the piano today because I, I just remembered that you have $100 in the bank. <laughs> Irma? You have $100 in the bank? <laughs> Irma, why are you looking up at the ceiling? When flies walk upside down, does the blood rush to their backs? <laughs> Irma Peterson, answer me. You have $100 in the bank? Please tell Janie you have $100 in the bank. <laughs> Jane, you see, it was like this. Oh, no, no, but, but it's, no. But it's good news. I have a chance to get a job as a receptionist next week at the number one Park Avenue shop. A receptionist? Honey, that's the smartest shop in town. Well, all their receptionists come from the finest finishing schools. Honey, they're very ultra, the epitome of culture and refinement. I know. that. That's where I use my $100. I don't understand. Well, I, I want to get that job, so I bought a course in refinement, and it, it's all here in this book. Oh, let me see it. How to become a lady in a week. <laughs> oh, Irma, you didn't spend $100 on... Oh, Irma. Come in. It's only me, Professor Kropotkin. <laughs> Hello, Janie and Irma, my two little candles. One with a flame, the other with a wacky wick. Uh, <laughs> why, Professor? Sir. Excuse me, a little joke I picked up in the hardware store. <laughs> Girls, I hope you don't mind my coming in here, but I'm hiding from Mrs. O'Reilly. She wants the rent. Why don't you pay it, Professor? By me, it's a principle. I refuse to pay rent for a room that's full of cats. 
full of cats. Yes, in my room, they feel safe. They know even a dog wouldn't go in that place. <laughs> well, Professor, we have our troubles, too. What has Irma done this time? Well, you know the piano. The piano? I didn't notice it. Do you mind if I play it? All right, but you better play something short. I have a feeling the piano isn't going to be with us very long. Why not? I lost my job. Yeah. Not only that, but she spent every cent she had on a phony course in self-improvement. Irma, darling, don't try to become a lady. Stay the way you are. <laughs> I mean, so sweet and simple. Return the course and get your money back. Yes, that's exactly what you're going to do now, honey. Come in. Hello, girls. Oh, so there you are, Professor. Hello, Mrs. O'Reilly. Don't you hello me. Yeah. I understand you've been going around telling the tenants you'd like to see me hanging from the rafters. I never said that. Well, that's better. I don't want to be charged extra for the decorations. <laughs> Now, look here, you... Now, please, please, the, the, the two of you. Uh, I'm sorry, Mrs. O'Reilly. I don't want to be curt, but after all, I have a terrible problem here. Irma's lost her job, and she spent every cent she has on a fake course in self-improvement. Oh, Irma, you poor dear. Where did you buy the course? From a man named Sam Bauer. Glory be, does he wear a checkered jacket and talk fast? Yes. Oh, that crook. How could you go to a man like that? Why, how do you know he's a crook? He sold me a book on how to preserve me youth. <laughs> Mrs. O'Reilly, if you'll excuse me I think he sold you the wrong book Your youth doesn't look like it's been preserved Looks more like it's been pickled <laughs> Oh, hush up Now, Professor, let's let the girls alone We'll go up to your room and talk about an operation What operation? The one you're going to need if you don't give me the rent <laughs> Bye, girls and Irma, get your money back. Now, sweetie, that's exactly what you're going to do because you're out of a job. And we need that $100 desperately or they'll take the piano and we'll be the laughing stock of the neighborhood. Oh, I understand, Jane, but please don't mention a word of this to Al. Why not? Well, I want Al to have confidence in me because, you see, when he and I get married, I, I, I want to handle the money in the family. Yeah, well, I, I think that's fair. After all, you'll be the only one who's working. And now Susie Swan sings to us. Listen. My advice says Susie, when you are buying soap for dishes, please be choosy. Swan gives a brand new kind of suds, you see. Your dishes wash so easily. Swan's gentle too. I swan to you, says Susie. And ladies, you'll probably be thanking Susie Swan for her melodic advice when you use white floating swan soap for dishes. You bet, because now with swan, you can have faster dishwashing and protection for your hands at the same time. You see, swan is made with an exclusive super-creamed blend for a wonderful new kind of suds, suds that get your dishes washed fast. Suds that rinse away so completely with one hot rinse, your dishes never need drying. Yes, Swan saves you time, but that's not all. Swan saves your hands, too. Sure, because Swan's exclusive super-creamed blend protects your hands, leaves them lovely as ever. Think of it, no more strong soaps or strong soap powders that make your hands all red and rough. 
Now you can do a fast job with pure, mild swan. Because only swan has this exclusive super-creamed blend for speed and mildness both. the floor, waiting for Irma to come back with the hundred dollars that she spent on that worthless culture course. Oh, gee. I hope she gets it, because there's a payment due on the piano. And I don't want to be at the keyboard playing ballerina while two truck drivers dance off with the piano. <laughs> Hello, Jane. Irma, did you get the money? No, there was a note on the door. Out to lunch. I think Mr. Bauer likes Mexican food. Mexican food? Yes, because the policeman in front of his office said, this guy is headed for the border. Oh. <laughs> Irma, there goes the hundred. Are you angry, Jane? Irma, I don't know what I am any longer. All I know is that I've been living with you for a year, and everything you've bought in that time has been a swindle. First, that refrigerator. Well, everybody buys a refrigerator. Without a motor? <laughs> Well, the man said that, that without any moving parts, it would last longer. <laughs> all right. All right, it could happen. What about the time you wanted a fur coat and I told you to go to I.J. Fox? Where did you go? I.J. Wolf. <laughs> he said he was a distant relative. Mm. And what kind of fur did you buy? Uh, the man said it was a genuine mink-dyed, squirrel-colored, leopard-spotted caracal beaver. <laughs> Honey, I told you that that many animals haven't gotten together since they walked into Noah's Ark. <laughs> now, understand me, sweetie. I, honest, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm only hoping that by pointing out your past mistakes, you won't be so gullible in the future. Well, it's just that they make it sound so reasonable. Oh, sweetie, what's the use of talking anymore? You have no job. You haven't any money. We can't meet the payments on the piano. All you have is a book. How to become a lady in one week. Oh, please don't start to cry, Jane. Oh, well, what do you expect me to do? They'll take the piano back, and my credit won't be good any place in town, and my charge accounts will be canceled. And I, oh, Irma. Oh, Jane, maybe they're coming for the piano. Shall I hide it? <laughs> yes, put it under the rug. <laughs> Hello, Jane. Hiya, chicken. Hello, Al, honey. Well, kids, I've done it again. Oh, Al, not another one of your deals. What is it this time, dipping tapioca in ink and selling it for caviar? <laughs> What's the matter with you, Jane? You seem bitter. Me? Bitter? Oh, don't be silly, Al. I feel wonderful. In fact, I'm going to take a little trip. I'm going out of my mind. <laughs> Inhibited Jane. Chicken, what's up? Al, I got fired. Fired? Chicken, how can you tamper with my future like that? <laughs> That's the worst news I've heard. No, it isn't, Al. I also spent my life savings on this course. Let me see. How to become a lady in a week. Chicken, how could you? Well, I wanted to get some poise and cultured. Haven't you ever felt that way? But me get poise? Chicken, I'm loaded with it. How many guys do you know who can walk into a theater backwards, light a cigarette, and say to the doorman, going out for a smoke, call me when the newsreel is over? <laughs> no, Chicken, you shouldn't have bought this book. Hey, what'd you pay for it? A hundred dollars. A hundred dollars? Chicken, I think you've laid an egg again. 
well, there must be something else we can do. Yeah, well, if there is, there's only one man who can help us. Who else? Who else but... Hello, Joe. Al, got a problem. Got to find a job. For me? Joe, don't be funny. It's for Irma. She got fired. Wants something in her line. Yeah, well, Irma does typing. Yeah, you remember the one who typed that letter for your cousin Willie, asking the governor for a pardon? Yeah, well, Joe, don't be sore. She just left out one word. I know she was supposed to write, I am not guilty, and she left out the not. What's <laughs> one word among friends? Then you're still sore, huh? Don't want to help her. All right, forget it, Joe. Goodbye. Well, what are we going to do now? Don't know, chicken. Looks kind of hopeless. Oh, Al, I guess I've just ruined everything. Oh, take it easy, chicken. Oh, no, I'm a burden to all my friends. I treat them all like beasts. That's what I am, a beast of burden. Chicken, chicken. Oh, the poor kid. Come in. Hello, Al. Oh, hi, Richard. Say, hey, where's Jane and Irma? Jane's out for a walk. Irma's in the bedroom, crying. Oh, about a job, eh? Yeah, yeah, she's taking it pretty hard. Well, that's why I dropped by here. Now, I might have a job for her. Oh. Irma! Irma, please come out. This is Richard. I want to talk to you. Hello, Richard. Tell her the good news, Richard. Well, it isn't definite, but I just left the house, and Mother's having tea with Powell Stuyvesant, the editor of Society Magazine. Now, he employs any number of girls, and I thought I might talk to him in the morning about employing you. Oh, Richard, you're so sweet. I could kiss you, but then Al would have to kiss Jane and we'd get all mixed up. Well, I uh, think I'll run over to Papillon Restaurant and see if Jane's there. Now, Irma, I'll call Mr. Stuyvesant in the morning and have him get in touch with you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Isn't it wonderful, Al? Just got an idea, chicken. What, Al? Why should we wait until tomorrow? Job might be filled. Why don't we drop in on Mrs. Rhinelander now and meet Mr. Stuyvesant socially? Make a big impression. Might even get a better job. But, Al, we weren't invited. We're in the clear. We got an excuse. We'll say we're looking for Richard. No, he won't be there. But, Al, do you think it's right? Chicken, all big deals are not made in the office. It's on the golf course, at tea, at, at cocktails, at bridge. You gotta handle it like the big shots do. Oh, but Mr. Stuyvesant is editor of Society Magazine, and Mrs. Rhinelander is... Oh, Al, I'll be so nervous... Uh, maybe I ought to read the book on culture and get some points. That book is a fake. I know the right things to say. We'll give it all to you in a nutshell. Oh, uh, all right, Al. I'm ready. Fine. Now, first, upon entering a mixed crowd, make conversation of general interest. Now, these people are high society, so we discuss the Cabots and the Lodges. The Cabots and the Lodges. Yeah, also, you drop a comment that you are getting ready for the horse show. You got it? I've got it. Okay, chicken, we go. Strike while the iron is hot. If things go right, in an hour, you should have a swell job amongst classy people. All right, Al. Oh, uh, just a minute while I take everything out of my handbag. Well, why are you doing that, chicken? Well, the book said a polite guest never arrives at a party loaded. <laughs> All right, chicken. Now, before we ring, have you got everything straight? Uh, I make general conversation, uh... Uh, I'm getting ready for the horse show, horse and I show? talk about the Cabots and Lodges. Okay, and... I'll ring. Oh, Irma and Al, what a pleasant surprise. What are you doing in the neighborhood? Uh, we, uh, we, uh, just dropped by to see Richard. But we know he's not in. Please, Jim. <laughs> you look very lovely, Mrs. Ryland. Well, thank you. Won't you come in? 
Irma, I've never seen you looking so attractive. Thank you. I'm getting ready for the horse show. Holy chicken. <laughs> Irma, now, while you're here, I'd like to have you meet my guest, Mr. Paul Stuyvesant. Paul, this is Irma Peterson and her boyfriend, Al. How do you do? Delighted. Dorothy, now that your friends are here, how about a rubber of bridge? Bridge? Well... Delighted. Grand thought. Well, then let's sit at this table. Irma, how would you like to be partners with Mr. Stuyvesant? Oh, I'd rather work my way up slowly. <laughs> Girl's got a great sense of humor. Uh, are these the cards? Uh, yes. Mind if I count them first? I beg your pardon. A mere formality. Save me many a buck. Shall we make a polite conversation? If you find it necessary, Emma. Mr. Stuyvesant, uh, do you know the Cabots? No, I've never had the pleasure. Do you know them? Well, I've never been to the Cabots' home, but I've been to their lodge. <laughs> Shall we deal? Yes, quickly. Uh, let's see now. Uh, uh, what's of mutual interest to everybody? Chicken, you're supposed to make conversation, but it don't mean you can't stop. <laughs> One spade. Two diamonds. Seven no trump. I uh, beg your pardon, I didn't get my partner's bid. Seven no trump. Seven no trump. If you folks don't mind, I'd like to see my partner's hand. Miss Peterson, how can you make a bid like that? Why not? You're vulnerable. You haven't got an honor. Mr. Stevenson, I'm not discussing your character. I don't see why you should discuss mine. <laughs> Take it easy, chicken. Oh, Mrs. Rhinelander, this is impossible. I think I'll be running along. No, 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 please. Please, Paul, I can explain. Please. Gee, Al, I think I made a wonderful impression. Don't know about that, chicken, but you sure performed a great trick. What was it, Al? You changed a four-handed bridge game in a double solitaire. <laughs> for you. Hello, Jane. I ran into Richard. He told me the wonderful news. He's going to speak to Mr. Stuyvesant first thing in the morning about a job for you. Oh, Jane, I, I don't think I'll get along very well with Mr. Stuyvesant. Well, sweetie, you haven't even met the man. How do you know? Well, that's silly, Jane. I've never taken poison, but I know I wouldn't like it. Irma, what are you talking about? <laughs> Jane, if that's Richard, don't answer it. Why not? It may be a wrong number. Irma, you're really acting ridiculous. I'd... Hello? What, Richard? Yeah, yeah, she just came in. No, she wouldn't tell me where she's been. She... What? At your mother's playing bridge with Mr. Stuyvesant. What happened? Oh, Richard, is your mother angry? She's not. Oh, bless her. Are you angry? You're not. What about Mr. Stuyvesant? He's what? He's given up cards, has locked himself up in the Harvard Club and refuses to... <laughs> Oh, Richard, you're kidding. Was it really that bad? I see. Excuse me, Richard. I want to have a talk with Irma. Bye. Irma. Irma Peterson, how could you? Oh, I'm sorry, Jane. We were so anxious to get the job, and we wanted to do it the social way. You know, a strike while the iron is hot. Well, you certainly cooled it off. <laughs> oh, honey, goodness knows when you'll get a job, and they'll take the piano back, and how we pay our bills, and I just... Oh, Irma... Hello? Who? Mr. Clyde? Yes, Mr. Clyde. You want me to come back to work? Well, why? 
Oh, because you don't know where anything is and you have to go to a psychiatrist. <laughs> and you have to go to a psychiatrist anyway. <laughs> yes, sir, Mr. Clyde, I'll be there first thing in the morning. <laughs> Irma unwrapped a cake of swan soap and put it in front of the mirror. So I had to know why. Irma, why put the soap in front of the mirror? And Irma said, A man on the radio just told the story of the ugly duckling, and I want our swan to know he didn't mean him. <laughs> oh, Irma, you're so right. In fact, it's downright beautiful, that cake of swan soap, smooth and white and creamy. And thanks to Swan's exclusive Super Creams blend, Swan's new kind of suds are wonderful. Sure, they whip up fast for dishes, whisk away dirt and grease, and leave your dishes shining, gleaming bright. And you'll like the way Swan's new kind of suds rinse away. So completely, your dishes never need drying. And ladies, beautiful is the word for the way Swan leaves your hands. You see, Swan's exclusive Super Creams blend protects your hands, leaves them soft, smooth, and lovely as ever. And white floating swan can give you this speed and mildness combined because only swan has this exclusive super creamed blend. Well, the household at 8224 West 73rd Street is back on a paying basis. I'm working, and Irma's got her old job with Mr. Clyde back. So the piano's here to stay, and Irma practices it diligently. You know, sweetie, I'm delighted in your interest in music. Why do you practice standing up? I have to. I'm learning the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> well, there's nothing I can say except hats off to my friend Irma. My Friend Irma, presented by Swan, another fine product of Lever Brothers Company, was produced and directed by Cy Howard. Tonight's script was written by Cy Howard and Park Levy. Folks, next Monday evening, listen again to... Our Friend Swan. With my friend, Irma. Starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. The part of Professor Kropotkin was played by Hans Conried. Frank Bingman speaking. Cakes are light and high. There's a reason why. Cakes improve with Spry. Rely on Spry. You bet there's a reason why Spry is the cake-making wonder. Spry has an amazing cake improver secret. Try the sure Spry one bowl way and be certain of lighter, finer, richer cakes every time. No other type of shortening has Spry's cake improver secret. For new cake-making success, rely on Spry. Pure all-vegetable Spry with cake improver. Rely on Spry, S-P-R-Y, rely on Spry, S-P-R-Y. Tune in next week one hour earlier and listen to the Lux Radio Theater, immediately followed by My Friend Irma. 
This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week. The Columbia Broadcasting System. down to Pine Ridge for another visit with Lum and Abner, brought to you by the makers of Horlicks, the original malted milk. You know, I sometimes wonder what we overweight folks would do without the Horlick weight control plan. It certainly does help to keep down those excess pounds. Safely, too. There's no danger in the Horlicks plan. If you haven't tried it yet, here's all you do. For lunch tomorrow, just drink a glass full of Horlicks malted milk instead of a heavy meal. That's all. Nothing to take, no exercises to do either. You simply drink the Horlicks. Now here's why this plan is so effective. Excess weight is just a matter of too many calories. Now that's just what a heavy meal has, too many calories. By cutting down on your lunch, you cut down on the calories too. Hence, you cut down on your weight. That's simple enough, isn't it? Try it out for yourself. You'll not only lose weight, but you'll feel much better, too. Much more alert. That's because Horlick's malted milk is so easy to digest. You should always keep a package on hand in the pantry ready for emergencies. You can get it in either natural or chocolate flavor at your favorite druggist. And now, let's see what's happening down in Pine Ridge. You know, Lum and Abner's circus is playing Belleville this week. And today, Lum and Abner and Dick Huddleston drove over from Pine Ridge to see how the show is going. <laughs> well, as we look in on our old friends, we find them down at the circus grounds. Dick and Squire and Abner are in one of the circus wagons, which also serves as Squire's office. Listen. Well, yes, this, this makes a pretty nice office in there, Squire. Well, it uh, ain't just as nice as I'd love to have it, but traveling over the country this way, well, it's a lot handier having it right here in a wagon where I can look after things Mr. better. Mr. Squire, Mr. Squire. Yeah, what is you want, Cedric? Uh, the bearded lady wants to see you over there at the sideshow tent. Her and the snake charmer's having an argument about something. Well, all right, I'll go right over there, Cedric. Uh, uh, I've been inspecting some trouble from them, too. They're both in love with the sword swallow. Well, you fellas wait here, and I'll be back in just a minute. Yeah, go ahead, Squire. We wait right here for you. <laughs> this thing keeps Squire pretty busy, don't it? Yeah, he's just got more than he can tend to by himself. Well, that's the reason I say, Abner. You and Lum ought to be right here with the circus. You can't stay in Pine Ridge and run it. Well, that's what I want to do, but body couldn't jar Lum away from Pine Ridge with dynamite. Well, I don't see why he'd object to leaving. He's got Grandpappy Spears there to look after the store, and he hasn't got a family to leave like you have. Well, tell you the truth, Dick, while he ain't come right out and said so, I, I believe he just don't want to leave Evelina. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's about it, all right. They're, they're awful in love with one another. 
Wouldn't spies lean on if they never got sliced this spring. Well, I don't know, Abner. They've been going together for over three years now. About <laughs> give up hope of them ever getting married. Well, of course, you never can tell. I believe Everlina's willing if Lom could just get up north enough to ask her. No, sir, Abner, I believe you and Lum could go along with this circus. If you manage things right, well, you can make some good money out of it. Squire said a while ago that you cleared enough yesterday to pay for that city license you had to buy. Yeah, and the tent was full on the afternoon performance this afternoon, too. But Squire just can't attend to everything by himself. He's trying to look after the ticket office up there and do the ballahooing out there in front and be the ringmaster and manage the circus, too, and that's just more than one man can do. Oh, he's just going from morning till night. Well, he's a worker, I'll say that for him. He surprised me the way he's handling things. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's making us a good man. Yeah, of course, me and Lum aimed to help him when we started, but we had so much trouble with our eyes. Both had such headaches that we just never felt like doing nothing hardly. Uh, how are your eyes feeling now? Oh, they're feeling a lot better now. I believe that eye specialist that you took us to this morning knows what he's doing. Well, he said that your eyes would be all right in a day or two. Said if you'd wore those glasses about another week, of course, you'd have been blind, you and Lum and Cedric, too. Yeah, you ought to hear what Lum told that feller that sold us them spectacles. Got him cornered down there this morning and told him to get that satchel full of spectacles and get out of town before he beat the everlasting daylights out of him. Well, I don't blame him. No telling how many people a fellow like that are blind. He ought to have been arrested is what he ought to have been. Well, I'm sure glad that you busted them of ours. I'd already got to where I couldn't see nothing. Well, I knew that you was mad at me at the time, but I figured you'd get over it. All right, here comes Squire and Cedric. I reckon they got the Ruka straightened out. <laughs> Did you get everything straightened out all right, Squire? Well, yes, I moved their quarters as far away from each other as I could put them. They'll be all right now, I think. <laughs> reckon you have a lot of that to put up with, don't you, Squire, among the performers? Oh, yes, yes. That goes with the show business, you know, Dick. A little jealousy that way. I'm afraid this fat woman that we've got is going to give us a little trouble. I, I put a sign up over her exhibit there in the sideshow uh, saying that she's the fattest woman in the world. Now, I believe it's kind of going to her head. She's wanting more money. Uh, where about this Lom? Did you see him anywhere? Uh, I know where he's at, Mr. Abner. <laughs> I've seen him while I go around back of the tent looking at them white horses that bareback rider's got. <laughs> and I told him we was going to have a meeting here in a wagon. Yeah, we've got to get started back to Pine Ridge. It's going to be dark before we can get home now. Uh, yes, uh, Cedric, uh, run and tell Lom that we're waiting for him over here. Yes, I'll tell him if he's still over there. I swan that Lom acts like he never saw a horse before. That's all he talked about while the show was going on this afternoon was that bareback rider. Well, that's a mighty nice act there, Abner. I was glad to get that. It adds a lot to the show, too. Uh, where'd you sign them up, Squire? You didn't have that act the last time I saw the show. Why, they just dropped in here the day before yesterday. It said the outfit that they'd been with had stranded and uh, wanted to join up with us, so I just hired them. Well, they've got some awful pretty horses, I'll say that. Yes, yes. We're going to have a real circus out of this yet, Abner. Going to make some money, too. And I want you men to know that I'm just as interested in making a success of it as I would be if it was mine. In fact, I feel just like it belongs to me. Or, well, that is, uh, in a way. Oh. Well, I was going to say, don't forget that me and Lum is the owner. Well, now, I never meant it that way, Abner. As far as the money's concerned, well, I'd a whole lot rather that you and Lum was here to look after the financial end of it. I've just got more than I can tend to. Well, that's just what I've been telling them, too, Squire. 
Well, I know what I ain't going to travel around with the show less than Mom does, and I don't believe a body to ever talk him into it. He's just got his head set that he won't leave Pine Ridge. Yes, I know. I was talking to him this morning, Abner. He said he just won't leave there. Well, there's no reason why he can't. Yeah, here he comes now. Uh, maybe we can talk to him some more about it, and all three of us can talk him into it. Well, uh, he said the main reason that he couldn't leave was on account of his store over there. Oh, sassy friend. He's got Grandpappy Spears looking after that for him. What's the matter, Lom? Didn't you see enough of the performance this afternoon? Well, sir, me and I just been back there looking over them horses the bareback riders use. There's as fine a span of horses I ever thought I own. Yes, they are, Lom. They're well-trained animals, too. Oh, my, yeah. Well, we've been sitting here waiting for you for over an hour, Lom. It's going to be plumb dark before we get home. Yeah, well, I just got so interested back there. It sort of slipped my mind about the meeting. <laughs> Danny seems pretty horsey. Well, I know you fellas in a hurry here, so we may as well just get right down to business. Ain't a spur or spavin on them, no. Yeah, let's get started. Get it over with. Well, now, there's several things that we've got to decide on, then. Now, the first thing is, whereabouts are we going to... Uh, when did them bareback riders join up with the circus choir? Why, uh, day before yesterday, um. Now, like I said, the first thing, then, we've got to decide is where are we going to move to next? Well, sir, that's a big improvement to the show. I could have sat there hey, all afternoon. Where do you think we ought to move it to, Squire? Well, now, I've got a letter here from the fire department over at Charleston. I want us to bring it over there. They'll sponsor it for us today. Yeah, she can jump from one horse to the other and that way, and them are running is more than I can see. And, of course, it's always a good idea to tie up with some organization in the town that way. In the first place, won't have to pay no city license, you know. Well, what, what is the little lady's name that rides them horses, Squire? And, of course, it, uh, uh, what was it, Mom? Uh, the little lady that rides them horses, uh, what is her name again? Oh, uh, uh, Zenora, I believe she called yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, Zenora, that's it. <laughs> Don't see why I can't recollect that name. Uncommonly pretty name. And yeah, what did you Zenora. start to say, Squire? Zenora. Well, I say we can go into Charleston Saturday, open our Saturday, you know, or to be good for three days anyway in there, and that's uh, right Squire, now. her and that, uh, that man, that, that other fella, uh, I mean, that fella with her, are they, uh, or that is, is she, uh, well, do you know if her uh, and That's him... her brother, Long. Oh, good, well, <laughs> yeah, she said she was his brother, or he was her, but, well, that's fine. Uh, uh, Squire, if, if she says anything to you about who is the owner of the circus, uh, I think a while ago I weren't paying no attention to what I was saying, and... Seemed me like it sort of slipped out before I noticed that I told her that I was the owner by... Mom, will you hatch up? We're trying to have a meeting here. Well, before we go any further with the meeting, I'll tell you right now, I think we ought to move the circus to some other town. And that's what we've been talking about for five minutes. Sure it is. That's what I say. It's a good idea. Where do you think we ought to move it, Squire? Well, uh, Charleston looks like the best proposition, Mom. We've got a proposition from the American Legion over at Mount Ida, but I believe we can go in there the following week and do just as well. Uh, of course, uh, when you move the show, you're aiming on taking all the same acts you got right now, ain't you? Oh, yes, yes. There's to be the same show as we got now, Mom. Good, good. Yeah, and Squire said that he thinks me and you ought to go along with him, too, Lom. Yeah, and the Squire's just right about it, too. Why, sure, there's just more than one man can look after, Lom. Uh, sure, sure. It's just like I told Abner. We can't run the circus and us in Pine Ridge. It's just more than Zenora, our squire, can look after. Regardless of what you fellas say, I'm going with the circus. <laughs> you don't suppose Zenora could have anything to do with Lum's sudden decision to travel with the circus? <laughs> Are you one of the millions now drinking Horlick's malted milk? Remember that here is a food drink that is beneficial for persons of all ages. 
Infants, children, adults, the aged, and convalescent. Why? Because Horlick's malted milk is rich in the vitamins and minerals everyone needs. Vitamins and minerals that are carefully preserved by Horlick's special process of combining rich, full cream milk and the finest of wheat and malted barley. So don't run the risk of accepting an imitation, which may be just a mixture of skim milk, malt powder, raw cocoa, and ordinary sugar. Always ask for Horlicks by name and avoid substitutes. You can get it, you know, in either natural or chocolate flavor. This is Carlton Brickert, speaking for Lum and Abner and Horlicks, who now bid you all good night and good health. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. A woman is knifed to death in her home. The body bears the mark of inhuman attack. The killer escapes. Your job, get him. If you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke extra mild Fatima. Yes, Fatima is the king-size cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make it extra mild. To give Fatima a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. That's why Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. Enjoy extra mild Fatima yourself. Best of all, long cigarettes. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, 
From Crime to Punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, September 29th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Captain Blaine Steed. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from the interrogation room. It was 11.23 p.m. when they got to room 42. Homicide. Hi, Lorraine. Hello, Joe. Like to type this up for me? It's a dead body report. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Joe? How you doing? They bring Palmer in yet? He's in the interrogation room. Captain's with him. What's his story? He claims he had nothing to do with it. You contact any of the boys' relatives? Because he hasn't got any in town. It was just him and his mother. You called Juvenile Hall, didn't you? Yeah, they'll look after him for the time being. Pretty big shock for a kid. Yeah. Did you get anything out of him? Harry and I have been talking to him. Just starting to make sense. You want to lend a hand? Sure. We're going to the beach tomorrow, my mother and I. She had the day off and we were going to the beach. That's all I know. That's all she told me. Harry? Hi. You want to give it a try? Yeah. All right, Robert. Come on, son. It's going to be all right now. We need your help, Robert. Think you can answer a few questions for us? How about a bite to eat, son? Can I get you something? No, I'm not hungry. Okay. That's the stuff. Well, here, take it. It's a clean handkerchief. Yeah. Well, you're the cop that drove me down here, aren't you? That's right. I'm not going back to the house. You won't have to, son. I'm never going back to that place. All right. Oh, it was awful. Did you start from the beginning for us, Bob? Just take it easy. Tell us what you know. Okay. Think I could have a coat? I'll pick up a couple. Be right back. Right here. Thanks, Harry. Well, all I know is I left the house about half past seven. Mom gave me the money to go to a show. Was she alone in the house when you left? Yeah, that's right. We had dinner, and then I went to the show. You usually go to the show on school nights, son? No, but Mom asked me if I wanted to go. She gave me the money. Double feature. She told me to stay for both pictures. Mm-hmm. Did she usually tell you that? No, she always said to just stay for one picture. She didn't want me coming home so late. Was she expecting anybody to visit her, I mean, after you'd gone? She didn't say so. She just told me to stay for both pictures, that's all. What time did the movie let out? Almost 11 o'clock. Pretty late, so I went straight home. Mom was in the bedroom. She was on the floor. There was this knife, this big knife. What'd you do then, son? I ran outside, hollered. Wallace's came over from next door. Went inside and looked, and then they called the cops. That knife you saw in the bedroom? There was blood on it, all over it. It was terrible. Did you ever see the knife before? Yeah. Yeah, Roy gave it to my mom last year. It's a bowler knife. Who is this Roy? Mom's boyfriend. One of them. He's in the Navy. Was he at your house tonight? I told you, it was just Mom and I. Roy had a fight with Mom about two weeks ago. He said he didn't like her having other boyfriends, and they had a fight. They argued, is that what you mean? Yeah. And once Roy slapped my mother. Mm-hmm. You want one of these, Joe? No, no, thanks, thanks Harry. Okay. Is your coke, Remy? Oh, yeah. Son, did you know most of your mother's friends? Most of them, yeah. Can you think of any of them who might have wanted to hurt your mother? I don't know. Roy Palmer, maybe. He was mad at her. He's the only one I can think of. 
I, I don't know. I don't want to think about it anymore. All right, son. We won't bother you anymore tonight. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Ben. Mm-hmm. You want to follow through with Juvenile Hall, see if the boy's taken care of. Okay. You're going to be in the interrogation room? Yeah, I got a few more questions for Roy Palmer. Right. Check you later. Okay. back yet, Friday? No, not yet, Captain. I just talked with the Reynolds boy. Yeah? I can't believe anything that kid tells you. He's a liar. He hates me. You give him reason to hate you, Palmer? The kid's a liar, that's all. You were his mother's boyfriend. He says two weeks ago you had a fight with her that you slapped her. All right, I slapped her. That don't make it murder. I wasn't near that house last night, and I didn't kill her. We found your knife in her bag. Huh? A bolo knife, bone handle. That's not mine. I gave it to her a year ago for a present. Didn't even know she still had it. Look, why do you have to pick on me? Because you had a motive and you haven't got an alibi. What about all those bums you used to run around with? Why don't you ask them for alibis? When we find them, we'll ask them. Do you know any of them, Palmer? The other men that she went out with? How'd I know? The only time she ran around was when I was on sea duty. And how'd you know she was running around? Friends of mine. You saw her out with these guys. I get it. Interrogation room, Friday. Lee Jones, Joe. Just got back from the Dixon house. Anything? Off to fast start. Leighton Prince checked the murder weapon, that knife. Dusted the handle. Yeah? Fingerprints, perfect set. Captain Steed and I took the suspect, Roy Palmer, down the hall and had his fingerprints taken. At the same time, across the street in the crime lab, a set of fingerprints were lifted from the weapon which had taken the life of Mrs. Betty Dixon. The two sets of prints were checked and rechecked. They didn't match. Every object in the murder house was gone over for fingerprints and further evidence. Roy Palmer's fingerprints were on none of them. He was released pending further investigation. The only suspect in one of the most savage murders in the history of the city was free. The next morning, Captain Steed and I met with Chief of Detectives Thad Brown. About the dead woman's son. You talked to him again? Well, Romero's with him now. He's taking down a list of all the people that his mother knew, friends, neighbors, everybody. No luck yet with a set of fingerprints? No, we've got no record on him. Checking them through Washington, we ought to get a kickback pretty soon. So the prints and a piece of envelope. That's the physical evidence, huh? Yeah. One of the top corners off an envelope. It had a postmark on it, um, Sonoma. Sonoma. Tie in with anything yet? No, not so far. Might turn up when we start checking the victim's friends. They posted the body this corner, that she saw this coroner's report. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did. I don't have to tell you, you're not after an ordinary killer. 23 knife wounds. Revenge motive, maybe. Yeah. The reaction of the dead woman's neighbors, that's what's gotten me stopped. No one heard a thing? Mitchell and Diddy are still covering the neighborhood. Haven't found anyone yet who saw or heard anything unusual. Well, I can't buy it. A woman isn't just cut down like that without some kind of a commotion. Besides, the homes in that neighborhood are fairly close together. Shouldn't take much to make yourself heard from one house to the other. No sign of robbery or burglary? No, according to the boy, the house is intact. Nobody touched anything. It leaves you with a boyfriend angle. Lover's quarrel. We're stuck with it, yeah. Hi, Chief. Romero, come in. How'd you make out? Better than I thought. Boy was over most of his shop this morning. Did he talk? Five pages of names and addresses. He gave me all of them. Well, how about that boyfriend angle? Oh, about half a dozen names. Seems the mother had quite a social life since the boy's father died. You confirmed the boy's story about going to the movies? Yeah, it checks out. Pretty nice kid, considering the environment he's been raised in. Well, how about those names, Ben? Any of them list Sonoma as their hometown? Mm, no, I don't think so. Let me check here. Okay. No. 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 Huh? No, none of them. All right, you better start digging into that list. 
Postmark may tie in later. Meantime, you still have that set of fingerprints. No chance for a mistake there. When you reach the right men, those prints will connect him with the killer. That makes it simple for you. Hmm? Prince will tell us who he is. You've got only one answer to dig for. Yeah. Where he is. Thursday, September 30th, 11 a.m. We started checking the list of the murdered woman's friends through R&I for any possible criminal record. It's usually the case that a major crime rates headline space twice. When the crime is committed, when the criminal is apprehended. Between the two, more than often, there's a space of weeks and months, sometimes even years, in which the police officer goes through the monotonous, undramatic business of checking files, asking questions, sifting and sorting leads and evidence until he finally reaches the criminal. For a news story, it's pretty dull material, but it proves out the contention of most working detectives. You don't catch criminals with headlines. Monday, October 4th, we checked with a Miss Lucille Dana, a counter clerk at a little market out on Crenshaw. Terrible thing. I've been away on my vacation. Heard about it when I got home yesterday. You were pretty good friends with Betty Dixon. Is that right, Miss Dana? Yeah, pretty close. Oh, excuse me a minute. I'll take care of this customer. Yeah, all right. Is everything, sir? Uh, no, two bags of jelly beans, please. All right. Okay, that's all. Well, that's 19... Seven, nine, eighty-seven. This is not marked. Just a minute. Tommy. Yeah. Number two, corn beef. How much? Just a minute. Sixty-seven. Thanks. Two seventeen. Out of five. Seventeen to twenty, twenty-five, fifty, three dollars, four, five. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay. I just can't get over it, Sergeant. Poor Betty. We understand that you used to go out with the Dixon woman, Miss Dana. Do you know most of her close friends? Well, most of her men friends. We used to double date a lot together. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you'd take a look at this list of names that we have here. All right. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Now, does that about cover all her boyfriends, all that you knew of anyway? Yeah, I think so. Let's see. Tony Morris, Gail Braith, Al O'Neill. You don't have Floyd down here. Who is that, Floyd who? I never did know what his last name was. He used to take both of us out, Betty and I. Seemed to like her quite a bit. When's the last time she was out with him, do you know? Oh, five or six months ago, at least. Kind of strange. How do you mean? Floyd. Jealous, you know. Hot temper. Said he was Spanish, but he had a light complexion. Oh, excuse me, please. Sure. Yes, sir? A pack of that mint gum and some lighter flints, please. Yes, sir. Twenty-five. Thank you. All right. Could you describe this Floyd for us, Miss Dan? Well, he was kind of fresh and conceited in some ways. He was attractive. A lot of fun. How about his physical appearance, weight and height? About six feet, I'd say. Nice build. 180 pounds, I guess. Mm-hmm. Dark hair, dark brown eyes. Good dancer. How did he and Miss Dixon get along? Oh, I don't think he did it. 
Floyd and Betty used to fight all the time, but she used to fight with Roy Palmer, too. I don't think Floyd did it. Is he in town now, do you know? No, I don't. As I say, last time I saw him was six months ago. Would you know if Mrs. Dixon saw him recently? She did. She didn't tell me. You have no idea, then, where we could get in touch with this Floyd? Well, no, I don't. He's from up north, originally. Is that so? Yeah, Sonoma. Ben and I went back to the office and got off a teletype to the Sonoma Police Department along with a description of the suspect named Floyd. Then we checked with the 16-year-old son of the murdered woman. He remembered the man called Floyd, and essentially his description of the suspect checked out with that given us by his mother's friend, Lucille Dana. 3 p.m., we met with Lieutenant Harry Didion and Captain Steed. You want to fill him in, Didion? Finally got in touch with the dead woman's next-door neighbor. His name's Conroy. Get anything out of him? They seem to be the only ones who heard anything the night of the murder. What'd they have to say? Let's see. Yeah, they saw Mrs. Dixon's son, Robert, leave the house about 7.30 the night of the murder. And nothing till 8.30. Yeah. They heard loud pounding in the back door of the Dixon home. The door finally opened. They heard an angry woman's voice invite the person in. A man? Yeah. Any description? Not much. She was tall, good build. Not much, Jack. Go on. Neighbors said it was quiet then for about an hour. And they heard a woman crying, said it sounded like Mrs. Dixon. They make out any of the conversation? I got it right here. Yeah. About 9.30, they heard Mrs. Dixon a lot of loud talking. She said, why don't you kill me then, Floyd? Put me out of my misery. Mm-hmm. Anything else? They said it was quiet between 9.30 and 10. And they heard something that sounded like a thud of a body falling on the floor, a piece of furniture overturned. No screams for hell. Funny, but the neighbors say no. The only other thing they heard was Mrs. Dixon. Here's a quote. She said, do a good job, finish me off. None of the neighbors thought of calling the police. Well, they told me they didn't want to get mixed up in a family fight, none of their business. She had quite a few men visitors. That's all of it, huh? No, one more thing. I guess this is what made the neighbors think everything was all right. About 10.15, they heard a man's voice, couldn't make out any words. Then they heard Mrs. Dixon say, please kiss me goodbye. Mm-hmm. A few minutes after that, they heard someone leave by the back door. They see him? Not very good. I think it was the same man they saw go in. Pretty tall, good build. That's it. Where does it leave us? Pretty weird. I'll buy that. Oh, I don't know. She was supposed to be a sane woman. She'd have to be pretty drunk to ask a man to kill her. A man would have to be pretty drunk to take her up on her. Why the killer used that bolo knife on the victim? That piece of envelope we found by the body. Yeah, it was postmarked Sonoma. There's a state mental hospital up there. Just a hunch. Maybe we're dealing with a maniac. 4 p.m. Monday. R and I could give us nothing because of the meager description. Ben and I checked out of the office and went over to the state building to the Department of State Institutions. First, we checked the name Floyd through the files, using it as a last name. Then as a first name. We failed to connect. Either the names didn't fit the description of the suspect, or they were elderly men still confined to the institution at Sonoma. We checked through the files using Floyd as a middle name. We came up with two recent parolees from Sonoma. Both matched the description almost perfectly. Both had the middle name of Floyd. We checked out the first one, Charles Floyd Johansson. We found out that he'd been returned to Sonoma almost a month before. The second parolee still had his freedom. We took a set of his fingerprints back to the office and had them checked out with a set of prints found on the murder weapon. How's it shape up, Joy? Richard Floyd Coleman. That the right name? Yeah. Any make? He's your killer. You are listening to Dragnet, 
the case history of a police investigation presented in the public interest by Fatima Cigarettes. If you smoke a long cigarette, it will be in your interest to listen to a typical case history of a Fatima smoker. It's the case of skating star Helen Davidson of the 1951 Ice Capades. This is her actual signed statement. Recently on tour with the Ice Capades, I've noticed more and more people smoking Fatima. You know why? If you like king-size cigarettes, you're bound to prefer the one that's extra mild. I know I do. And I agree it's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. More and more smokers are discovering this every day. Actual figures show extra mild Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. So enjoy extra mild Fatima yourself. The king-size cigarette, which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos, superbly blended to make it extra mild. You will prefer Fatima's much different much better flavor. You will agree. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. The best of all long cigarettes. Monday, October 4th, 7 p.m. We got on an APB and a radiogram on Richard Floyd Coleman. We checked DMV for possible auto ownership. From his record, we found that he had been confined twice to the state mental hospital at Sonoma. The first time for a period of two years, the second time for 14 months. Hospital files showed us that on both occasions, he had been committed by his older sister, Evelyn Coleman, his only living relative. Her address was listed as 5640 Upper Terrace, an apartment court in the East Wilshire District. We drove out to question her. In one of her apartment windows was a hand-lettered sign, Seamstress, Dresses Made to Order, Evelyn Marie Coleman. She turned out to be a tall, quiet girl in her 30s. Gray eyes, brown hair. She worked on the sewing machine while we talked with her. I'm sorry to be so rude, Sergeant, but I have to have this blouse ready by 2 this afternoon. Miss Tyler's coming to call for it. That's perfectly all right, Miss Coleman. Exactly. What was it you wanted to know? It's about your brother, Richard. Oh. Anything wrong? No, we're just checking. That's all. We'd like to talk to him. What about? Routine check. We understand he spent some time up at Sonoma. Yes, he did. Richard's had a hard time of it. Doctors don't seem to know the trouble. Poor Richard, he's so mixed up. You're his only living relative? Yes, I am. Folks died when we were both young. Practically raised Richard myself. Have you seen your brother lately, Miss Coleman? No, not lately. Why? Do you have any idea where we might contact him? Well, no, I don't. You see, he travels around the state a good deal. Oh, is he working? No, but he writes from time to time. Oh, what was it you wanted to see him about, Sergeant? Well, just routine questioning. We like to talk to him. Oh. Where was he when you last heard from him, Miss Coon? Well, couldn't you tell me what you want to see him about? We just like to question him, that's all. Well, what about? You can tell me. Is your brother in the city now? Oh, I don't know. I, I just got back. I, I haven't heard from him in two weeks. Almost three weeks. Does he usually stay here when he's in town? Well, sometimes, yes. Is Floyd in some kind of trouble? Is that the name he usually goes by, Floyd? Well, most of his friends call him Floyd. Why? You think he might be staying with one of his friends here in the city? He might be. I don't know. Look, Sergeant, if Floyd's in trouble, you can tell me. I- I've seen him through lots of trouble before. Not this kind, miss. Women? Oh. I wish there was something I could do. Where was he when you last heard from him? He was in Santa Barbara. He wrote me. Please, Sergeant, why do you have to see Floyd? Excuse me. Yeah, Sure. Yes, Miss Tyler. Uh-huh. Well, maybe just a few minutes late. Would 2.30 be all right? Oh, fine, thank you. 
right, Miss Tyler. Bye. Well, have to hurry. This is Tyler's blouse. Sure, you go right ahead. I really don't make much of a dressmaker, but I'm saving up. I'm going to buy a place for the valley farther out. Be fine for Floyd and me. Be awfully good for him. Floyd has to get away from excitement. He's awfully nervous. Sorry, Miss Coleman. Yes, Sergeant. Are those your brother's suitcases in the alcove back there? Yes, they are. They've been there for a month. I keep his odds and ends for him. I'm sure he hasn't been here in the past month. Oh, yes, I'm sure. Please, Sergeant. Why don't you tell me the truth? I've been through this before. There's trouble with Floyd. What is it this time? It's pretty bad. Well, what is it? We want to ask him about a murder. Oh, no. He wouldn't do that. You're... You sure it was Floyd? We'd like to talk to him. Floyd. Floyd. It didn't have to happen. I was going to buy a place in the valley. Floyd would have liked it there. I was going to take care of him out in the valley. Do you have any idea where we could find him, Miss Coleman? No, I don't. I don't know where he is. Santa Barbara, that's the last I heard. I've been worried about him. If he was in the city, would he come here to stay, ma'am? Well, he did before, yes, but I don't know about now. Does he have a car? No, not that I know of. No, I... I, I don't know what he's living on. He doesn't have any money. Who was the woman? Oh, uh, Mrs. Dixon. Seems to know your brother pretty well. Oh, boy. You better grab that, Ben. Yeah, all right. Hello. Yes. Yeah. That's all right. Thank you. Yeah. Mrs. Tyler, she'll pick up her blouse tomorrow. Evelyn Coleman's place and went back to the office. A stakeout was placed on her apartment. Two days went by. Nothing happened. Despite the fact that the suspect's sister had promised to cooperate fully with us in locating her brother, a team of men was assigned to follow her wherever she went as insurance against any possible slip-up. As far as we were concerned, no precaution was out of reason. A maniac was on the loose in the city, the same maniac who had murdered the Dixon woman. He'd done it once, and if the urge was there, he'd do it again. We sweated out the next three days. On the afternoon of the sixth day, we got an urgent call from one of the parole officers in the state institutions department, a Miss Gertrude Vaughn. Ben and I went over and checked with her. Call came in about 20 minutes ago, Sergeant. Man's voice. What do you have to say? He wanted to talk to me about the Betty Dixon case. Seemed nervous. You're saying you know anything about it? I didn't want to frighten him off asking too many questions. But I got the idea he had something he wanted to get off his mind. Well, did he mention anything specific? I mean, names, places, anything like that? No, but I got the impression he knew quite a bit about the case. Mm, what else? He promised he'd be here by 4 o'clock. Said he'd be ready to talk. Mm-hmm. Well, it's 2.45 now. All right, Ben. Okay. Pull up a chair. We waited. 3.15, 3.30, No sign of the anonymous caller. 4 p.m. Still no sign. We waited. At 4.30, the office door opened and a tall, thin girl with brown hair came in and walked straight toward the desk of parole officer Gertrude Vaughn. We saw Miss Vaughn motion the girl across the room toward us. It was Evelyn Coleman. Sergeant. Miss Coleman? How are you? I know where Floyd is. I'll take you to him. 
4.35 p.m., Ben and I left the state building with Evelyn Coleman, got in our car, and drove north across the city, according to her directions, until we got on Highway 66. We continued driving north out of the city. Evelyn Coleman sat quiet in the back seat, looking at her hands folded in her lap. Except for directions, she said nothing. Approximately three miles out of the city, she directed us off onto a county highway. We drove east for a few miles, then we turned north onto an unpaved road lined with eucalyptus trees. We'd gone a little less than a mile when she directed us to pull up. We can walk the rest of the way. Okay. It's not far. All right. All right. This way. Your brother been out here all this time? He didn't tell me. He called this morning. Supposed to get himself up. What happened? I don't know. He's worse now, I think. Could hardly understand him on the phone. Doesn't make sense. Is he alone now? He was when I left him. We go across this field here. Okay. Is your brother armed? No. That it over there? Yeah. Shacked by the trees. You'll see he's treated right. Yes, ma'am. We'll see to it. I brought them in, Floyd. They'll take you back. I'm Richard Floyd Coleman. I want to tell you I killed Betty Dixon. All right, Ben. I wanted to marry her. She didn't want it. She dared me to kill her. I grabbed the knife. We can talk about it later, huh? She was lying on the floor. She said, kiss me goodbye. I held on to her. She seemed to go to sleep. We have to go, Floyd. You tell him, Evie. I loved her. You tell him that. Yeah, I will. She dared me to kill her. She said I didn't have the nerve. She asked me to. Yeah, all right. Come on. Try to tell him that at the hospital. Yeah. I'm not crazy. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On December 4th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 86, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. And now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you. To prove a suspect's guilt or innocence is in tonight's case, the working detective spends many a long hour with the man in question. In the interrogation room, the crime lab, with his friends, his enemies, gets to know his man well. And so with a cigarette. If you're a long cigarette smoker like I am, get to know Fatima. Live with it a while. Pack after pack, they're extra mild. Get to know the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. Richard Floyd Coleman was examined by six psychiatrists appointed by the court and was found to be criminally insane. He was committed to the state mental hospital at Mendocino for an indefinite period of time. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes, the best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet from Los Angeles. Sarah Burner is delightful in Sarah's Private Caper, next on NBC.
Until the war with Japan is completely won, our fighting forces will need the full support of every American on the home front. Today they are combining in an all-out attack against Japan. In planes, ships, and tanks, our fighters are battling forward to total victory. And we must help them gain that victory. Here's what we're asked to do. Stay on war jobs until finally released. Keep on buying more and more war bonds. Keep on supporting home front activities and observing wartime regulations. These next months will be vitally important. In your letters to servicemen, tell them you know what they're up against. Let them know that a united America is behind them as they face the fight that lies ahead. In spite of recent setbacks, our Japanese enemy remains strong and determined to fight to the last ditch. The harder we fight here at home, the sooner will come the day of peace. So don't let up for a minute, because minutes lost may mean lives lost. This is the log of Magnus Carter scientific observer aboard the Space Force. After the two silver-clad Centaurian women had taken over our ship, they forced us to change our orbital position. We were to join their great starship, which lay half a million miles away on the far side of Jupiter. The starship, with a submarine-shaped hull and tall skyscraper-like superstructure, was big enough to accommodate the population of a small city. Once aboard, we were taken to comfortable quarters, fed and allowed to rest. Then we were summoned before Voedica, the great starship's commander and queen of the Centaurian women. Tell the Jovians to sit down. They are not Jovians, Highness. They are from Earth. Which is their commander? I am. Commander Saxon Berry. Is what you see on the screen the planet you hail from? Yes, it is. A remarkable picture. It's three-dimensional. How can they achieve such an incredibly close-up view? Is that where the Arecibo message came from? Yes. We thought it came from Jupiter. No. Earth. Earth is such a tiny planet. We thought it too small to be of any significance. It's a world full of life. And it must be the only one in this whole system that is. More than likely. How disappointing. Those little unmanned ships that have been flying around Jupiter, are they from Earth too? Yes. Sent here to investigate your radio signals. But they all died. And that was our doing. We rendered their equipment useless. You did that to our ship too. The Space Force. Why? We did not expect to find anybody aboard. But life is what we came looking for. So we are glad to have found you. And now that you have us, what do you intend to do with us? That depends on the result of your interrogation. We were you. told... What is your name? Huh? Me? Of course. Oh, uh, Chipper. Chipper Barnett. Take him down to interrogation. Return the others to their quarters. Yes, sir. Oh, no. Saxon. Wait a minute. If one goes, we all go. Take him away. Very well. Come no. on, come with us. Let go of him. Let help. Rick, help him. You better stand back. Stand back or we fire. Get the gun. Oh, what have you done? You've killed them. Disobedience will not be tolerated.
Space Force, an interstellar encounter, starring Barry Foster, Nigel Stock, Nicky Henson, and Tonya Sober. Episode 5, Threshold of the Stars. Wake up. You're not hurt. Wake up. What happened? You have slept, that is all. Slept? I was shot. You received a blast from an anesthetizing gun. You're not hurt, are you? No, no, I, I feel fine, I think. How about you, Magnus? Uh, oh, I, I'm all right. And me. Oh, good. Hey. Where's Chipper? He has been taken to Group A Medical Center. What are you going to do to him? And and why Chipper? Take these Earthmen to why Group Chipper? B Medical Center. Very good boy to come. That's not where they took Chipper. Take them now. Oh, we can't let them separate hold us. It, hold yes, it. Yes, but we can't. it. Those guns. Might as well walk as be carried. We'll go quietly for the present. Are you awake now? Where am I? In the medical section. A second ago, I was in the ship's control center. How do you feel? Like I've just woken up from a deep and beautiful sleep. You must lie perfectly still. Why? What have they done to me? We have tested your physical and mental fitness. Relax. How did I do? Do. In the tests? The results have not been computerized yet. Yes, but you can sure. I am not allowed to discuss tests with patients. I'm not asking much. Only will I live. Somebody else will be along to see you soon. Do not attempt to get up. If you need anything, press the button. You understand? I suppose so. I mean... Oh. She's gone. I don't feel ill. I wonder what they're doing to me. Oh. Hello, Chipper. Jenny, where did you come from? You called me. The button, you mean? Yes. If I'd known it would be you, I'd have pressed it sooner. I'm glad. Is there something I can get you? Like what? A drink, some food. Oh, no, thank you. I'd just like to talk. Very well. Funny you should appear. I was dreaming about you just before I woke up. Ah, oh, yes. You would. I would? How do you know? Far too complicated for me to explain. Don't let it stop you. We have much nicer things to talk about. Such as? The time when we shall meet face to face, with no viewing screen between us. I see no screen. I'm nothing more than a three-dimensional projection. You look solid enough to me. Like I could touch you. No. Your hand would pass right through. Oh. But one day we will meet. Where? When? When you have been cleared physically and psychologically. When you are free to move around the ship. What part of the ship do you live in? Blue section. Communications. Is that far? From here it is, but not from your living quarters. It's quite close to the docking area. As soon as I get off this bed, I'll come and see you. No. That would be dangerous. Why? You have not been cleared. Of what? When your tests have been assessed and your category finalized, you may be allowed to come. And... If not... Then I will find some way of coming to see you. Don't be too long about it. I'm dying to see you, yourself, as you really are. 
Your escort is coming. Hmm? Trey and Ifwa. They will take you back to your living quarters. When shall I see you again? Goodbye. No, wait. Jenny? Jenny. How much further, Trey? Your quarters are just past the blue section, near the docking area. Blue section? Communications? Yes. There are the blue guidelines on the walls. We pass Blue Junction in just a moment. That's where Jenny is. We're coming to the junction now. That's it, there. I've got to see her. I've got to stop! She's in trail. I've got to stop! Hold him! Let go, do you hear? Let go! What is the problem with Blue Junction? Alarm situation resolved. No emergency. Where were you going? You said that was the way to communications. That's right. I was going to find Jenny. Not in blue section. It is forbidden. Who says so? It is the rule. No unauthorized persons allowed. Come. We will return you to grey section. Yeah. Oh, you heard in my wrist. Let go. You cannot be trusted. There's no need for you to grab me as well. Oh, why don't you pick on someone your own size? Here he is. At last. Chipper, you all right? Yeah, I'm all right. You don't sound it. What happened to you? I had a medical, that's all. What did they do? I don't know. I was asleep. We were tested as well, but yours seems to have taken much longer. They're trying to decide which one of us is the most able specimen. Survival of the fittest, Ifwa said. Survival? Yeah. And what happens to the others? Not so fit. She didn't say. They don't survive. It's obvious they'll be killed. Listen, all of you. I don't know what they're up to or what they aim to do with us if we fail the test. But one thing is clear. We must stick together. Resist separation at all costs. Plan a way to get back to our own ship and get away. Escape? From here? Yes. Impossible. I'm sure everything we do is being monitored. They're probably listening to us now. Even so, we've And got even to... if we did get back to the ship, we'd never get clear. Why not? They'd kill us stone dead before we fired the motors, just as they did before they boarded us. But we can't just give up, Magnus. Why not? Why shouldn't we stay? It's a fascinating experience. Scientifically, I'm discovering something new all the time. Until one day you discover you've been shot. That is highly unlikely. What do you think, Chipper? I support Magnus. Make the best of it. See what happens. What's got into you? You wanted my opinion. I gave it to you. If you insist on trying to escape, I'll help you, but against my better judgment. And what about you, Chipper? I want to stay. You can't mean that. Hold it, Saxon. We've got company. Jenny. I'm sorry to disturb you. The commander wishes to address you. Please watch the screen. I don't see any screen. In front of me. Good day, Earthman. Jenny, you may leave. Now, Earthman, I have come to tell you the results of your tests. The fittest man in your crew is Radio Officer Barnett. Blimey. The fact that he can communicate telepathically places him way above the rest of you. A person who cannot communicate in this way is of little consequence in our society. Magnus has some potential in this direction, but it is undeveloped. I see. So, what's going to happen? Barnett will come back with us to Corfea. And the rest of us? The rest of you. The rest of you will be allowed to leave. You may return to your planet, if you can. But without Chipper? Barnett goes with us. And if we refuse to leave him? You will die. I see. We 
Accept your terms, Veridica. What? Who are wise to do so. But we need time. Time? A time with Chipper. After all, we'll never see him again. Very well. You have ten minutes. What? Is that all? This ship will take off in one hour. If you are not in a docking area by that time, your craft will be unable to leave. An hour? But it only takes 15 minutes to reach the docking area. Not during takeoff procedures. All power is required for charging the engines, so all walkways are inoperative and airlocks must be controlled manually. You have ten minutes, Earthmen. Summon Jenny when you are ready to move. Farewell. Ship preparing for blast off. All personnel not involved in preparation to return to their waters. Firing at zero miles. Don't waste any time. We can't waste any either. We've got to find some way of taking Chipper with us. I thought you accepted her terms. That was just to buy time. Right. Any ideas? Don't trouble yourself. I'm not coming. Talk sense, Chipper. I prefer to stay. What for? For Jenny. A picture on a televiewer. She's not just a picture, not her true self. How do you know? She told me. Soon we're going to meet face to face. You must be crazy. Don't you know what's happening? It's obvious what's happening. He's fallen in love with her. With an apparition. She's not an apparition. She's as solid as you are. Have you ever been able to touch her? Feel her breath on your cheek? No. Not yet, but I will. She's having you on. Hmm? She's made you fall in love with her. It's all part of the great Centaurian plot to have you stay here. To take you back to Corthea to enslave you. Rubbish. She'd never do a thing like that, would she, Magnus? I must say I find the girl rather delightful. <sighs> That's it. What's it? You're both being brainwashed. Brainwashed? Who? By? By Jenny, Ifwa, Treya, Voedica, everybody aboard this ship. But how? Telepathy. Slowly but surely, they're feeding you with thoughts and desires that make you want to stay here. I've said I will come with you if necessary. Yes, that's because you're only partially affected, because your telepathy is undeveloped. But Chipper, he's had the full works from the word go. We've got to get away, before they start getting us, Saxon. Oh, no, we're not the types. But we've got to make sure Chipper and Magnus come with us. I'm not coming. We can't man the ship without you. Firing time zero minus 15 minutes. 15 minutes All non-essential personnel to return to living quarters at once. Ah, well, at least there won't be many people about to stop us. Uh, call up Jenny, Ludwig. Right. Yes? We're ready to go. Good. An escort is on its way from Red Section to collect Chipper and take him to his new quarters. Thanks, Jenny. Does this mean I'll see you soon? Pro properly, I mean. Very soon. What about our pressure suits? We can't leave without them. They will be in the main lock, leading to the docking area. And helmets? They'll be there. All chief personnel to control room. All chief personnel to control room. Right. We've got a deal with Chipper's escort. From red section, she said. That means they'll be armed with those anesthetizing guns. That's right. How many do you reckon? Probably two. Uh, we'll need your help, Magnus. What do I have to do? Ludwig and I'll wait behind the door. We'll take them as they come in. You grab the gun and shoot them. Shoot them? I'm not sure I could shoot a woman. They're not women. They're aliens, Magnus. Don't let them influence you. I can't do You'll this. You'll only they're, knock them out. Will you help us, please? Very well. Don't ask me to have anything to do with it. You stay where you are and keep quiet. All right, Ludwig. Get behind the door. Right. Barnet. We're here to bring now, you. Look, what are you doing? Stand back. Get that gun, Magnus. Come on, Magnus. Oh. Good work, Ludric. Thanks. And you, Magnus. How long will they be unconscious? I don't know. We'd better get started. Come on, Chipper. I'm not coming. I told you. You're 
You're coming, whether you like it or not. Jenny will help me. Grab him, Ludwig. Right. I'll stop him reaching the button. Let me go, let me go. Use that anesthetic gun on me if you need to. Right. Come on, come on, Jimmy. All non essential personnel to leave quarters immediately. Are you coming quietly, Chipper, or do we need to use the gun? No, you don't. Good. Let's go. Minutes. Red section personnel escorting alien Barnet. Return him to his living quarters. Keep up, Chipper. Okay, okay. So far, so good. They said they'd let us leave until they discover we have Chipper with us. Well, that can't be for a few minutes yet. How much further? We're just coming up to Blue and Silver Junction. Docking area's a couple of minutes from there. Blue Junction? That's Jim. Chipper, come back. Stop him, Roderick. Use the gun. Oh, missed. I'll get after him. We'll come with you. No, no, go to the dock. Open the first airlock. Save time. Where do you need help? I'll manage, even if I have to carry him. I'll go with him, Ludwig. See you at the dock. Right. Which way did he go? Can't be far ahead. Never passed any other junction. No doors he could have disappeared into. What about that one? With a blue circle on it? That must be the communication control center. Where Jenny lives. That's where he'll be. Come on. Not a soul about. They've all gone to ground because of the blast off. We'll never find him in here. It's like a maze. Stop a minute. Hmm? Listen. Jenny! Ah, that's him. Yes. But where is he? His voice seems to come from all around Jenny! us. Jenny! Jenny, where are you? Jenny? Jenny, where are you? You in here, Jenny? Hello, Chipper. Oh. How did you get here? I follow the blue signs. It is forbidden for unauthorized personnel to enter the communication section. You could get into serious trouble. Who with? There's nobody here. You are lucky. They've all gone to their quarters for the takeoff. It is dangerous to be about while the motors are charging. Only emergency power is available. Where are you? I can hear you, but I can't see you. There is no screen where you are. Walk on a few yards between the control stacks. Yes, doing that. And you come to a blue door with lighter blue zigzag lines on it. I see it. That is the door to my room. You may come in. Where are you? Here, right in front of you. All I can see is a computer console. That is me. No, it's not true. I've seen you. You're beautiful. That is only my image. Look. There you are. No. Try and touch me. You can't. But you let me believe you were real. That was your idea. I never suggested it. And that I would see you in your quarters. That is just where you are. In the special computer suite. But you made me fall in love with you. No. My program did that. Why? To persuade you to come back to Corthea. And then, when it was too late for me to go back, I'd find out you were not real. Before then, the desensitizing process would have begun. The what? The process by which you would be made to fall out of love with me. Nothing would have done that. Look, Chipper. Chipper! Look at my face. Oh, no. I'd make myself even uglier. Look. No. No. Stop it. Chipper, where are you? Now can you know me? No! (laughs) Chipper! Good heavens, what's that? Looks like Jenny. What's happened to her? Jenny, can you hear me? She doesn't move. Something's gone wrong with her picture. I did it. What? I smashed the screen. I was trying to smash her face in. 
You know she's not real, then? Yes. She was manipulating me. And then those faces... She was tormenting me. I, I wanted... This is no place for you, Chipper. People created by computers, mind-washing by telepathy. You're best out of it. We all are. Come on. Let's get back to our own ship and go home. Here, let me help you up. Come on. Thanks, Saxon. Now, back to the passage or we'll never get to the dock area in time. You know, she was the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. She would be. She was specially created for you. There's a dock, and there's Lodric. Ah. He's got the first lock open already. Thank goodness nobody's chasing us. Keep up, Chipper. I'm trying to. Good to see you. I thought you'd never make it. Pressure suits there? Yes. Now get inside, all of you. Put them on. But only three. What? Chippers isn't here. They didn't leave it. But he can't leave without it. We have to cross ten yards of airless space before we reach our ship. Exactly. That leaves us no choice. Huh? One of us will have to stay behind. Not on your life. What are we going to do? We'll, we'll have to share a suit. Share? Mm. One of us stays here. The other three go through the lock, get aboard the ship. Then one of the three comes back with a spare suit. Good idea. I'll wait behind. You go. You sure? Of course. They may get hold of him before we can get back. I know that. Just go. Okay. Here's the gun, Magnus. If anybody comes after you, at least you'll have a chance of knocking him out. Thank you. If I don't see you again, good luck. You'll see us again. Loderick, close the door. Let's get through this lock and onto the ship. Zero minus 15 minutes. Repeat. Zero minus... Ah, it's good to be back in Space Force. Loderick, get your suit off. Doing it. Chipper, get to the radio. Monitor the starship's intercom. Right. And while I'm gone, Loderick, inspect the motors and estimate the fuel situation. You've got less than 15 minutes. I know. We'll see what we can do. Here, the helmet. Thanks. Now, close the door, pump the air out, and keep your fingers crossed. Good luck. Magnus. Magnus. Yes, Saxon. Oh, I thought I'd lost you. Come in here. Right. Uh, get this suit on. Let me know as soon as you're airtight. I mean, power supply still seems to be operating. They don't go over to emergency power until just before the motors fire. Right. How's that? Sounds okay. Pump the air out. One more operation and we're home and dry. Why haven't they sent somebody for us? Oh, they're too busy preparing for blast-off. They could have postponed it. They can't. The process can't be reversed. Hey, this air pump's taking its time. Should have done the job by now. Uh, this is still working. Yes, but so slowly. Ah, at last. Open the door and let's get out of here. It's stuck. And the lights are dimmed. Well, they must have gone over to emergency power. That means there's none to spare for the airlocks. The door's half open. Perhaps we could squeeze through. No, we'd never make it. Not in inflated suits. Then we're trapped. Looks like it. And with the starship about to blast off in less than ten minutes. In that episode of Space Force, 
Chipper was played by Nicky Henson, Magnus by Nigel Stock, Saxon by Barry Foster, and Lorderick by Tonya Sober, with Teresa Stretfield, Wendy Murray, Jenny Twigg, and Lolly Cockrell. Space Force was written by Charles Chilton and produced by Paul Mayhew Archer. Thank you for listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's shows. Visit our website at www.strangerspilgrims.com.